Yes, yes, one, two, one, two. This is the Beers, Beats and the Biz podcast back in effect for another week, broadcasting live from the Shire Studios. I am Jake Biz, my man Insidious behind the boards. And once again, we are back in effect. And yeah, we apologize for leaving you for the past two weeks. But man, we had to, uh, well, I personally got some pretty fucking bad news uh, last week. On Saturday evening, we had a mad, we had a fucking, an incredible guest lined up to record on Sunday, last Sunday afternoon noon and he had to pull the pin last minute but then on Sunday morning we were going to record anyway we're just going to do some like you know question and answer type shit but on Sunday morning I got the news that uh, a very fucking good friend of mine passed away um, DJ Lopsided my man Lops and fuck man it like while I, I have to be perfectly candid while I may not have been overly surprised initially uh the shock of his death definitely settled in in the fucking days following by that afternoon really I'll be perfectly honest and um man I can't I haven't really taken a social media with that shit or anything like that because I can't articulate what that dude meant to me regardless of where our friendship went towards the end whatever but yeah he was uh he was beyond my dj he was one of my very good friends one of my fucking closest of friends for many years lops was an amazing fucking human being man and um yeah i'm definitely fucking uh it's just yeah it's fucking it was heavy news man and it's been hard to deal with and it was even hard to drag drag myself in to do this podcast this week you know just just that shit just still sort of fucking hanging over i mean i love that fucking dude that dude was a crazy dude if you knew him on a personal level anyone out there like lopsy was uh definitely one of a kind he was a great friend to me great friend to my wife at a point in time um great friend to all my friends like he was part of 750 was my dj through the commercial hell days he's all over commercial hell he dj'd on that album um and he was an incredible dude we were actually born seven years and seven days apart we're both leos and fucking born in july and all that kind of shit and man we initially sort of bonded over like ice cube and public enemy when i first met him when he got out of jail and he traveled he'd been to um he got out you know like man i won't go into his history and shit like that you know that's just you know that's just some personal shit but man fucking lops like yeah i'm gonna miss that dude and um you know we're just going to persevere with this fucking podcast we're going to keep into it and like i said i don't know what to say like i just can only sort of just speak off the cuff i don't write any of this shit down so it's just it just fucking comes out and yeah i'm gonna miss that fucking guy man like yeah he was a uh, great friend we didn't talk much towards the end like lops had his issues and i was there for him to a point and i tried and you know there's only so much you can do for someone when they sort of take a particular path and that's you know that's business left elsewhere but it just is what it is. If you knew him on that level, you knew what he was. You could fucking argue with that cunt blue in the face. Like, you know, like he was fucking something special, man. Like he was he was uh, incredibly charismatic. He was a lovable dude, but he was also – he just had that edge to him as well. And he loved his rums. We used to call him Drambuie Dan. His name was Daniel. We'd call him Drambuie Dan from time to time because he started drinking this shit Drambuie after a while. And fuck, he would black out this motherfucker. Like <laughs> he was something else. But, you know, once again, massive rest in peace to my fucking dude, Lyle. Um, when I spoke to Bigfoot the other night, you know, he was sort of like me. It was just like, man, like you, you, 
always kind of thought maybe you could come back around at some point, you know, like it was, you know, it was always love. Even when I sort of fucking hated the guy, I won't lie, I did. I fucking hated him at different points in time, but that was just, that was loving lops, you know, like you hated him at points and this is just the fucking reality of life, man, you know, and, you know, as you get older, you just start fucking, some of these people start dropping off or, you know, you grow beyond them and it's unfortunate, but, you know, like it was always all love with that dude and I knew it because uh, he'd even reached out to my wife in the past sort of couple of months and spoken to her a few times and stuff and I knew like I was still kind of a bit cold and shit like that but man once again rest in peace to uh, DJ Lops to my good brother my friend my um uh a peer someone I looked up to at a point in time and just just a fucking an amazing guy an amazing guy someone that had traveled someone that had lived life someone that had learned from mistakes but then you know, maybe hadn't learnt enough from his mistakes. And, yeah, um, I'm going to miss that guy. I mean, I could go on and on. I could go on and on. I could probably dedicate an episode to him if I just sort of wrote down some of the thoughts and some of the nights and some of the crazy fucking shit that we all used to get up to. But, man, I'll just give him this intro and, you know, bid him farewell, you know, till we till we next see him. Yeah, so, I mean, moving on, um, when we last left you, we left you with Trem. Like, we had to take that following week off because I was moving house at that point in time and then, you know, as already mentioned, what we went through over the past week. But, man, our last episode was Trem and what a fucking episode and thank you for to you guys for your response to that episode. Um... Yeah, it was amazing, man. Trem gave us fucking everything, and we just we didn't even get up to the, for the well, we got up to for the term of his natural life, and that's sort of where we left it. We're going to do part two. I've spoken to Trem in the meantime, and you know that's going to happen. You know, I think we ought to make that an event. I haven't spoken to him about what I'm thinking in terms of doing part two because we haven't recorded that yet. We're going to record it, and there's just still so much, man. Like there's shit we need to recap on that we only briefly touch on in that episode. You know, there's certain tracks, and you know, I think we could have gone more into the LC stuff as well. But, you know, when you get three hours with the big man, it's fucking, um, you know, we, we, we enjoyed it, man. It was, it was a fucking great interview. I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. We got a lot of good feedback on that. And, man, how the fuck? Like, where do you even go? Like, that interview went everywhere from fucking Geelong, from Sydney to Geelong to Melbourne to uh, Demolition Derby, Renown. Uh, we mentioned that Gemstones joint off Brad's mixtape. Um, man, countless joints, like the LC stuff, the Murderous Metaphors stuff. We went into some of the shows. We went into his work with Prowse. We went into his work with, man, that unreleased posse cut featuring Nuff Said and LC. Like, fuck me, man. They're like, there's just some – Trem's got archives down there, man, you know, like, and we need access to those archives at a point in time. But we'll talk to him and we'll get on to part two in, in good time, you know. Like, part two is going to be fucking killer too. Like, we'll get into the – for all the uh, – for the term of his natural life stuff and all that sort of shit and once again i can't thank trem enough for his time he slotted us in on a saturday before the king's connected launch here in brisbane and we got to sit down with the dude and it was fucking sick man and the response you guys gave us was fucking dope and once again hit us on patreon forward slash beers beats the beers like if you want to support this podcast like us rate us um subscribe itunes soundcloud spotify we're out here and fuck once again trem you know and stay tuned for part two we're uh, we're gonna make that happen in due course but this week we're back in effect and we're back in effect with man someone you may or may not know too much 
much about a man by the name of Jigsaw Jeff, aka Blunted Stylus. And the reason he's on this podcast is because you need to know about him and his contribution to hip hop in this country. Um, he's definitely, he's certainly one of the forefathers. He went to school with Hams. He uh, painted one of the earliest pieces on the Bean Lee line in Brisbane. He made up one quarter of the Resin Dogs. He introduced Lazy Gray to sampling early on, uh, or to at least drum machines, etc. Um, he produced Stop and Think for Lazy Gray. As a matter of fact, we go into all this on this uh, on this episode. And man, the man gave us his time. He's a renowned beat digger. Uh, definitely deep in the records. There's a there's a huge amount of record history in this. Uh, Jeff often quite quite often in this episode will just go off on a tangent and start sort of relating things back to the year a particular or specific record came out. And man, he's a great dude. He's an amazing dude. And he early on was definitely one of the brains behind the Resin Dogs. Him, Catch, and Dave. Um, you know, he goes into all that history too. He tells us about pretty much the first ever Resin Dogs sort of get together and uh, jam session, which was live on Triple Z Radio one evening, filling in. For DJ Frenzy up here and yeah man he, we go into it all with Jeff like he really goes all over the place and there's so much we didn't get into like off mic it was sort of like fuck dude we didn't touch on this we didn't touch on this like we didn't really get into his Hepatitis releases which were um, a series of cassettes he released throughout the 90s didn't get into his current work remixing Curbside Collection a, a group up here in Brisbane you can find him at Blunted Stylus on social media on Instagram I think at Jaffa on on uh, Facebook and that's actually what he used to write and I actually mentioned it in this episode. I remember Reels telling me once that, you know, when he was coming up on the Bean Lee line back in sort of the late 80s into the early 90s, the names on the Bean Lee line at that time were Jaffa, Malice and Hams, you know, or Jaffa, Hams, then Malice. That was that sort of fucking era that came through. And yeah, we sort of break that down with him he tells us about it like going out and painting and jeff gets into everything man he gets into the nitty-gritty he tells you about the dudes that grew up on his block skateboarding and all that sort of shit like he'll give you the name of the parents and all that sort of shit like yeah he's a remarkable dude an amazing dude a dude that's recently found sobriety so we applaud him for that as well like you know he's uh on a path he's continuing his journey and he's still making music still sampling he worked with blade uh, tc5 from new york like he took these old reels and spliced the tape and and, you know, like fucking just pretty much remixed and remastered a lot of that music. He's done so much. And there's so much in this episode that we really don't get to, you know. We should probably have Jeff back for part two in time. But, yeah, like a, a great dude, a great dude on an amazing journey. And his contributions and his time, we can't, for, for his contributions and time, we can't thank him enough. Like he's done so much. And once again, one of the earliest writers here in Brisbane, one of the first people doing it, one of the earliest breakers here in Brisbane, one of the first people sampling, digging. Um, he's a forefather and you need to get to know Jigsaw Jeff. So we hope you do so in this episode. Jeff even put out an amazing release called uh, Corner Pieces back in the early 2000s, which is something you can still hunt down. I didn't see it on YouTube. Actually, I think he's going to upload a lot of his stuff to YouTube following this podcast. So if you want to look for it, some of the stuff he's looking for, you should be able to find it <clears throat> sometime in the future. But if not, hunt down Corner Pieces on Discogs or something like that. It's got Brother Stoney, Coolism, Kuro, uh, several other artists and stuff. And yeah, he's worked with tons of people. We tell tons of stories in this. He toured with the Resin Dogs. He was a part of that up until 2004. 
people, grinning, refizzler, stop and think, walking through the drive through there, just some of the joints he did with Lays that we kind of go into. Man, this episode has a lot, has a lot of names, a lot of different bits and pieces, background, you know, sort of south side Brisbane history in this one. And once again, thank you to Jeff. Thank you to Blunt and Stylus. And once again, if you want to support this podcast kicking in any way, head to Patreon forward slash beers beats the beers and we have to send a massive shout out to those that are supporting us currently big shouts to my man gusto i've got to get over and see your brother i know i said that last time but i will in very soon it's been a hectic few weeks and i promise to just swing me a text sometime but beyond that big shouts to ryan craig pain stop pappy jay waldy matt mcdonald dave mcdonald robert jimmy cook oliver 81 Rowan Edwards and Velvet Couch Screen Printing. Everyone there kicking in, helping out with this podcast. And once again, if you want to do that, head to patreon.com forward slash beers beats the beers. I'm just going to hollow those names one more time. Ryan Craig, Paint Stop Pappy, Jay Waldy, Mac McDonald, David McDonald, Robert Jimmy Cook, Oliver 81, Rowan Edwards and Velvet Couch Screen Printing. <laughs> Velvet Couch screen printing. Big shouts to them doing the, doing the thing and helping us with a bit of the uh, YouTube thing that we're trying to get popping at the moment as well. And if you want to support this podcast, head to iTunes, SoundCloud, fucking Spotify, uh, all that shit. Rate, subscribe. You can find us on social media at Beers Beats the Beers. Follow Instagram, Facebook, like, man, do all that shit. And we dedicate this episode to the memory and well, to the fucking very many, many, many memories I have of uh, DJ Lopsided. Um, you know, we'll mourn you till we join you, my brother. And, you know, it's all love. It always was and always will be. And you'll forever be missed. Without further ado, let's get into this episode. This is Beers, Beats and the Beers, and we are joined by the one and only Blunted Stylist, a.k.a. G- AKA Jigsaw Jeff. Uh. You open up the app and the music appears, but you don't see the hard work, blood, sweat, tears. Three-minute videos, they spent filming those airports, sound check, live shows, studios, managers, promoters, labels, graphic design. There's a lifetime behind every rhyme. Victory, failure, profit and the cost If we don't pass it on, then the history is lost Want an album review? Then you're paying for ads You want a half-page story? Cost you double for that And the radio's the same, gotta show them the money Cause they shelter in their listeners like bad boy Bubby Ignorance is bliss, but it isn't if you're missing the foundation That's why we had this conversation You wanna know the real deal? Here it is You're tuned in to Beers, Beats and the Beers all right, all right, all right. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back live in effect. This is the Beers, Beats and the Beers podcast broadcasting live from the Shire Studios down here in Logan City in sunny old Brisbane. It's a beautiful day here. It's been a fucking heavy week for us. We apologize for uh, missing you guys last week, but man, we have a fucking legend with us today. Like we are here to lift our spirits. We are joined by, man, one of the, well, a man who showed Lazy Grey himself, his first piece of sampling equipment, a man who did some of the earliest pieces along our train lines here in Brisbane, a former member of the Resin Dogs, a DJ, a digger. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, make some noise for the motherfucking man, Blunted Stylus, aka Jigsaw Jeff. Let's put our hands together. Jeff, how are you, bro? Thank you. Yeah, I'm great. Great to be here. You good? Dude, 
thank you so much for coming down here, particularly at the end of what has been a bit of a difficult week for us. You know, like we were talking off mic about what's happened this week. And for those that are listening, yeah, I lost a very good friend of mine, DJ Lopsided, this week. And it's been fucking rough. And I was even considering not even doing this podcast this week. But I had Jeff booked and it was time to pick ourselves up and dust ourselves off. And, mate, it's you've already lifted our spirits. You brought down some show and tell and all kinds of things. And That's dude, not, not a problem. Yeah, thanks. Um, I'm grateful that you guys asked me to come in. Yeah. I've been listening to all the podcasts. They've been amazing. Dude, thank you. Um, step, <laughs> stepping back in time at many points and also um, like filling in kind of a lot of gaps of um, oh, how did this guy get involved, you know, or the, yeah. the Melbourne-Sydney even connection and then Brisbane. Yeah. Uh, it's, um, yeah, it's such a good show to be on. Well, thanks. dude, you're, you're, I mean, the reason you are here is because you are at the foundation <laughs> of a lot of those connections, you know, like you are one of the earliest sort of – you're a pioneer of hip hop culture in this city and in turn this country, you know, like you're one of our fucking number one exports as a member of the Resin Dogs. You toured the country and became signed to a major label. But prior to that, as you were telling us off mic, it was you, Hams, Nicer, Malice, like all those old names along the fucking Tez, Tez exactly, you know, like all those names down down our train lines, you know, and mm. then once again onto sampling equipment, breaking, all that kind of shit, dude, you go way back, you know. So we thank you for being here, bro. Yeah, it's not a problem. <laughs> um, and to be saying uh, uh, at the forefront, you know, yeah. of, of all this stuff, um, at the time it didn't feel like that at no. all um, because, as you know, you, you know when music styles change and graffiti styles, anything changes, artwork, you know, in the 60s, 70s, whatever. Yeah. Um, as it's doing evolving and different people's um, uh, individuality in their work inspires others, mm. it, you know, you give it two, three years and look back and it's like, whoa, look where we've come from or, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Do you look at it now? Do you like – because we'll, let's get into your history shortly, but when you when you kick back now and look at hip-hop or listen to hip-hop or even like just look at graph, you know, I'm sure mm. your head still turns if you see some fucking crazy shit on a wall. Like yeah, do you amazing. look at where it's gone and just go, holy fuck? Like, yeah. It's yeah. Uh, like um, you'll see a lot of the – uh, art following um, graffiti sites on Instagram and so forth, and they do all um, incredible quality shots. By the way, photography is just nuts of graffiti that's three D at certain angles, mm, mm. Um, yeah. which has been an art form you know for ages anyway. But it's just to do this with spray cans, yeah, and and the colours, everything's just spot on. Yeah, dude, it's you know, fucking something um, else, man. And it's um like just the the graphic quality of it, um, the, the design work and so forth, you yeah, know, it's yeah. Yeah. You know, way beyond what we were doing, just yeah, yeah, yeah. You throw, throw an outline down and see if you can do it on a wall. Exactly. But what sort of cans were you using back then? Oh, gee, um, <laughs> definitely not your Krylon and Rust-Oleum. Nah, nah, they wouldn't have even been around. No, nah, well, you know, nothing they, like that. You wouldn't have had access to them at that nah. point. No. Um, there's Fiddly Bits, which is kind of a Kmart, you know, yeah. $1.50 brand or something back at the back in the day. Yeah. Um, Touch-up cans were great because um, – Cars are many colours, so yeah, if yeah. you get touch-up paint for a car, you can get different shades of lots of things. So that's very expensive, yeah. but they're usually a small can, that's so they're right. rackable. Yeah, um, the touch-ups were the go, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then once once we discovered um, the leather paint you get in a shoe kiosk oh, or a shoe shop, that, yeah, 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 the. The Tuxen fuchsia paint actually smelt like it looked. It was this pretty pink, purpley flower colour. Yeah. And it smelt unreal. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was the shit. <laughs> yeah. So, um, which is, you know, one of the favourite colours to paint with later on. Um, uh, it's and, – and, like, I put it this way. My brother, Tez, like in – he reckons it's very early 85. Yeah. 
but just on the skin, I reckon it's late 84, but we'll just go with 85. Yeah. Um, did the first piece on the Bean Lee line. Um, I don't know if it was first piece everywhere, most likely not in Brisbane, yeah. but we're talking about um, a New York kind of subway style letter art piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he did the outline in chalk. Fuck. You know. Marked up in chalk. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. and that's under a bridge in the dark, you know, and there's no, you know, we're talking torches and stuff. There's no mobile phones or anything you can hold up at a wall. Yeah, or anything. yeah. Um, yeah, no, not back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it, dude. <laughs> but this, this is this is what I always say. Like when you are the first to be doing something, or you are you are the earliest proponent of that sort of movement in a city where it didn't exist prior to you. What motivates you to get out there and do it? What did you see, or what did you listen to, or what did you have access to in those days that made you go out and fucking paint those first pieces that existed on, or you know, those first the first pieces to exist along a fucking train line in Brisbane? Um, well, in oh, like I was nineteen eighty, I was ten, mm. you know, seventy nine. Yeah, um, nineteen seventy nine rappers. Delight came out, so yep. that's the you know first kind of major selling record on a um, a hip hop record. Yeah, uh, and on a major label the same year, but a bit later was on Mercury Records with Curtis Blow. Okay, yeah. But um, in the pop world and in the rest of the world, I don't think it was released in 1979. Is Rapture by Blondie wasn't uh, released in um, 1979 and a lot of other places, but the 45 was released in Australia in 1979. Fuck no shit. So you, if you think of the stuff she talks about in that Fab Five Freddy yeah, told me everybody's stuff, fly. Yeah, his name wasn't around <laughs> nah. in the public space like we know now. Yeah. Even just a few years later when he was on um, that classic record that everyone cuts up, Change the Beat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, you yep, know, yep. That, it's got Fab Five Freddy mentioned in that. Um, of course, the Wild Style movie. Yes. He, he wrote the soundtrack to that because he couldn't be bothered clearing all the samples of people yeah. backspinning records and that sort of stuff and got to get them cleared and whatnot, um, yep. even though that would have been a real genuine kind of sound as well. Mm -hmm. um, Hip-hop, just around that time, there was a lot of replaying just after that of samples. Yeah. Um, uh, Sylvia Robinson kind of started oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, of course, with Sugar Hill. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also the, the other Robinson on Enjoy label. Um, oh, I, I can't remember his first name. Oh, why can't I remember his name? But um, yeah, so Enjoy Records. Yeah, they had um, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. Yeah, they were putting that group out first on Enjoy, and then they went to with Super Rappin' was the name of that track. Yeah, okay, um, yeah, yeah the first one there. Yeah. Um, so on Enjoy Records, in Super Rappin', I'm pretty sure of it. 1981. Uh, no, 80, 80, 79. Yeah, we'll go with that. Um, he says, a child is born with no state of mind, blind to the ways of mankind. The that message. line that's in the message, yeah. which didn't come out two years later. Oh, so that line from the yeah. message was on a prior uh, on a Yeah, a prior okay. release on yeah. Enjoy Records. Yeah. Um, and what, Melly Mel? Um, yeah, he, he says that. He wrote yeah, yeah. that. That's that's the only thing written by anyone in the band in the whole song. No shit. In the message is yeah. that line from a, a record earlier. Um, and that's on Super Rappin'. Um, if it's not, actually, let me just think of a second. There's a, a brass label record in 1979, um, and it's called We Rap More Mellow uh. by a group called The Younger Generation, okay. which is Grandmaster Flash and Furious Five, wow. or at least the Furious Five. Yeah, okay. And um, that's, I think that's it. That's the one where Melly Mel does that line, A Child Is Born With No State Of Mind and that. And oh, then fuck. years later, um, Duke Booty was the guy who wrote the lyrics um, I've heard the name Duke Booty. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was um, in a lot of their work. He, yeah. 
He we like, should preface it. I should just interrupt and we should preface this episode. You are a fucking almanac of music <laughs> knowledge, like records yeah. and stuff like that. So I should preface this episode by saying this episode could be mad, mad hip hop nerd talk, record talk. Like, and this yeah. is what I love, man. Like, yeah. So thank you, dude. Yeah. yeah. Sorry if it's a bit scattered all over the place. I but can't, you, um, no, we don't yeah, give a and, fuck. And the, um, <laughs> Serious. Like in the, in the periphery of what you're, you know, in my mind of how to get to the point of, well, you asked yeah, was yeah. what was around then That's right. that made you paint. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> Even though we're talking about the earliest yeah, yeah, record. Yeah. yeah. Um, so in the Blondie film clip, there's a bit of that going on. Yeah. Um, yeah, you had Lee painting in that yeah, Blondie video I, and all yeah, that sort of shit. Yeah, I, I think so. And um, then the big one where I was absolutely riveted was the um, Buffalo Gals oh, of course. by Malcolm McLaren. Certainly. Where it's got Dondi White. Sky's the limit. Yeah, and... Mm. Um, even, I think, um, the Keith Haring element in yeah. the artwork on the album as well. Yeah. And yeah. the Duck Rock written on the speakers and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so my first Ghetto Blast, of course, had that on it and I took all of it apart and um, painted <laughs> the speaker grills red and yeah, yeah. all that. I wasn't able to get bullhorns or anything, but that doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of extra aerials on it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, funny enough, that same Ghetto Blaster I lent to my brother's older than me and his best friend at school's brother is older than him. Yeah. So the circle of friends we used to hang around was like a very large, wide, you know, even when I was younger, we knew someone who had a car. Of course. Yeah, yeah. and we'd go everywhere. Yeah. And then we also had a friend who had a, you know, champion BMX rider, um, Scott Eddington, he had a, a younger brother and, and so on. So like the age gap between all of us in that crew that used to hang around Sunnybank, even before graffiti, was like um, the BMX bandits, I think, in one of the um, – Triple Z things that the casino was on, he referred yeah. to us as because, um, <laughs> yeah. So, well, anyway, um, where are we going with that? So, we'll just go back to the way buff, the music correlated yeah. alongside the, yeah, yeah just to the see painting. the painting in that video, yeah. Um, and this, that, well, Malcolm McLaren himself in an article calls it like this inarticulate concrete sound, yeah, yeah. which is scratching. He, yeah. he looked up at Africa Bambada when he went and went to check out the music and art scene in New York because he's from England, um, yeah. Malcolm McLaren. And, um, yeah, he just said he could see this big guy just messing with the decks and it was just this sound that yep. he couldn't – but it was in rhythm and it just was needed at that point and it helped create the atmosphere. Yeah, and yeah. It was, and he was just sold. But, dude, back to your graph because, fuck, man, we'll go, we'll go, like, <laughs> we'll go a million different directions throughout this interview. And uh, your graffiti, bro, like I, Reels said, once said to me, he goes, when he was coming up on the Bean Lead line, it was Jaffa, Hams and then Malice. Now mm. you wrote Jaffa. Yep. Dude, your earliest pieces along the Bean Lee line, like, you know, we still haven't got to what sort of motivated you. How did you get out there and just make that happen, man? And was there anyone – did you see anyone prior other than Tez? Was no, it, no, nothing, nothing like prior. that. That was like um, there's you know, there's some sort of scrawl on a wall or yeah. paint or artwork or anything that was yeah. like, I want to do that. Yeah. Um, and but, but I was impressed by what I saw in those film clips and whatnot That's earlier. Right. Yeah. So, you know, 84, 85, I've – um, well, 1984, because of that, I'm doing, I'm drawing all that kind of stuff. I'm yeah. doing designs and tags and whatever on paper. Yeah. Not totally being a hip hop head, but just because, you know, I want my name to look bigger and fatter and letters, you of know, it was probably just Jeff at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it was a guy in art that 
said Jaffa to me one day and that was got nothing to do with the graffiti kind of thing. But anyway, that's stuff. Because <laughs> my name's Jeff. I don't know what happened there. But, yeah, um, they're and, similar letters. Yeah, and and you, yeah my, my name's spelt with a G. It's yeah, true. It's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, got, I got rid of the second F in Jaffa because it's already got two A's. Yeah. And like yeah. double letters in graph just gives you the shits. Yeah, 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 you know? yeah. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Two F's in a row would have fucking definitely given <laughs> me the shits. Fucking A. <laughs> yeah. So um, so that, that's sort of that. So um, oh, Billy Carts, train sets and BMX bikes or just push bikes. Yeah. So in the 70s, when my brother and I were, you know, kids, you know, five years old in 1974 and five. Yeah. Um, Dad probably built us a Billy Cart, probably Fucking even younger than that. Yeah. And that was that and it lasted for a little while and a couple of years later probably broke. But from then on, my brother would then build the next one because he's been shown how to build one. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. that kind of thing. So my brother had this mentality of just get up and do it now because you yeah. know how to do it, what to do. Just do it. You know, you don't have to wait for anyone's permission or whatever. That's just right. do stuff. Yeah. So we're just, you know, building billy carts and we would um, service our own push bikes like, you know, skateboards, you know, the bearings and the wheels and that. Yeah. Some of them are open race bearings back then. Yeah, yeah. Like we're talking about the little skinny ones, yeah. you know, with the chalky wheels. Um, and to get them caning down, you know, some newly laid road somewhere where we we're living. You know, you every two weeks or a week, you just pull them apart and just regrease them and clean them out again. You, yeah, you yeah. Know, and we're only kids, you know, yeah. about nine years old or something then, or, or less. And um, just just that go out and do it and just see what happens. Just kind make of it thing. Happen. Yeah, don't worry yeah. about failing. If it's the yeah. plan is to like keep focusing on what will work. Yeah, and you might get there. You know. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So then one one morning I wake up and Tez. Um, my brother Terry and uh, his friend Scott, I think it was, they just had organised it and the next day it was there, that first Hez piece underneath yeah. El Tandy Overpass, yeah. Mains Road, Sunnybank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boom. So you can do it. Yeah. Um, then after that, just down from there is the big El Tandy wall, which That's is right. a hell of a best of brick wall. Yeah, yeah, fucking A. Spotless. It was, so, it was just a clean wall. And it was a legal wall for many years too, like, you know, through the 90s, post your, you know, yeah, sort of yeah. your time there. Well, yeah. as, I, as I said before, my um. Brother's best friend at school. My brother's a year older. Yeah, his the best friend's brother is a year older. Yeah, and then he had two friends with an older brother. It was those two friends whose parents or parent owns that wall. Oh, really? Lived in yeah. that house? It's yeah. a really because of the train line. It's yeah. one of the biggest hills on the train line, by the way. You don't think of it as a hill, do you? That bit. What that fucking part there? Yeah, like, yeah. That that comes all the way from Benoon or whatever, all the way up to that point. Is just a big rise. The train's is climbing. Is that a fucking hill? Yeah, that, the train's climbing for ages there. No shit. Yeah. Going into El Tandy. Mm, anyway. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah, so that, that long stretch of wall, which is on an odd-shaped block. Yeah. Our friend's parents owned that wall. Um, on one end of it is there, they had a pool and everything like that. A lot of the time that pool was empty. You know, we were hell-bent on um, BMX freestyle and skateboarding, so yeah. that helped that bit. Yeah, fuck um, yeah. Freestyle hadn't really kicked in yet because we're not really into the mid-80s as, yeah. as much. Um, yeah, so we asked him and my brother then did the big electro piece. Yeah, 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 yeah. of course. Uh, and then yeah. uh, Chuck and Lev and myself and Colin and Tez did the um, Beat Street yeah. rip-off, which is the ghetto blaster with the shoes walking. Yeah. Um, I don't, what does it say? Beat Street, I think it says. Yeah, no, yeah, Something yeah, like I that. Remember, I can't remember now. Yeah. Something I know, about I the know, beat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was um, – Took up a it, the wall is so big that didn't even take up much of it. Yeah, and then um, around about that time, after like three or four pieces are on the wall, um, I didn't go to Sunnybank High School anymore after grade ten. Yeah, um, uh, I didn't know just before that. Sorry, racing BMX bikes in '84. A friend of ours, a friend <laughs> of ours, Colin. Um, 
that races with us and um, up at the where is that the Roachdale Underwood BMX track? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's where I live. Yeah, quite close to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're still doing that every I think Thursday nights or something. They got lights and shit now. They actually yeah doing. Yeah, so I, I was like fourteen or something then, and we were racing. Um, the guys across the road from us, their dad was the importer of GT BMX bikes. Fuck, man. So we would go and they would go as well um, racing yeah. BMX. They would just do full-on racing. They were representing Australia and Queensland yeah. and all that sort of stuff. They yeah. were really good. Um, but that was just amazing. When they moved in across the road, that sort of changed their world as well. Yeah. Um, but the um, – so my friend Colin was going to Rochdale High, Rochdale High School with a guy named Tams <laughs> and um, <laughs> and DJ Complex, um, which I didn't I didn't I saw Complex a lot, but wasn't like super friends with him for many years later because there's many hip hop gigs in that in the city where you of just course. see the similar people that gravitate to the same things that you're yeah. you know gravitating to like you know yeah. moth to light or whatever. We just love whether anyone plays anything remotely to do with what we're talking about. Um, and uh, anyway, so Colin says that his friend, who's totally into what you're into, Jeff, he's having a birthday party. Mm. I'll ask him if it's okay if you could come along. Yeah. And that was the weirdest thing to go to someone's birthday party at night time with all these people from a school you don't know. Yeah, you don't yeah. even know who the birthday person is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But on a whim, you've been invited along. Yeah, because Because of the interest of, of hip-hop. You're into the similar shit, yeah. Yeah, and I yeah. get to Ham's house and um, we're just talking about, just straight off, just talk about music and things like that. A lot of it was, um, you know, geez, 84... You know, we've already passed the rocket phase with Herbie Hancock and Rocksteady Crew. Yeah. Are you and Ham's the same age or older? Um, he's nineteen seventy and I'm sixty nine. Yeah, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, yeah, apart apart from myself, there's Jared. Um, I think Angus was nineteen sixty nine as well. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Rest in peace. Yeah, rest yeah. in peace, Angus. Um uh, yeah, so we were, yeah, so I went to that party and um took heaps and heaps of tapes and stuff of whatever I could have, you know, recorded off four triple Z a lot of it. Yeah. I may have met Peter Freckman by then because I knew I had um the, uh, the Big Apple mix. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah. and another like uh, the lessons maybe by then, I'm not sure. Yeah. Somewhere around you, then. Where were you accessing those, those mixes? Um we would go in uh what was that, grade eight, probably grade eight and nine. Yeah. Um I would go into the city. Yeah. With just friends from high school, no one that we're talking about or from that we would from, know here. Exactly. And they would they would go to a nightclub that would be open on a weekend for all ages called Sybils. Oh fuck! Okay. And it would be it was more of an R and B kind of thing like yeah. prior, but because of uh, rap music basically or the, the hip hop phenomenon, sort of starting to creep into the world and into movies like Flashdance and shit like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd go to these kind of R and B afternoons, and every time there would be like a circle would bust out and people would start breaking. Yeah. And because some people were so like advanced or good, they're like it's fair income. They're not just doing this yeah. to try and just look like the TV. They just want to be good, you know, express themselves exactly. in all forms with the artwork, with the breaking. Yeah. Um, like people wouldn't hang shit on it. Like it would be, they'd be waiting for that move that really freaks them out, and it would happen. And then once again, the next week you go, and they'd be on again. And then, um, without that club being open on Friday nights, sometimes Saturday mornings, but mainly Friday nights, we'd go. McDonald's used to go from the Queen Street Mall. Right through and then out the back to Elizabeth Street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And there was this yeah. beautiful tiled area. Yeah. And it was quite long and it was out of the sun and it was um, yeah. protected. So there would be a boombox there from whoever it might have been. Um, oh, who were some of the guys? Brendan White or someone to bring, bring a boombox or uh, 
Jeff Brooks maybe. Um, oh, I can't remember. There's so, so many guys that you start to get to know. Yeah. And they're not even from your, you know, neck of the woods at all. No, 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 no. Fuck no. You know, and um, people that are all gravitating towards a similar thing from opposite sides of town and all that mm. sort of shit. Yeah, yeah certainly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was another a pop locker guy. His name was Chuck. You know, and if you saw him on the street, you would never even think that he'd be in, in into what we're into at all. And, yeah. But when he would um, perform and just go into pop lock mode and all the stuff, it'd be like, you know, the electro boogaloo kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it'd be just riveting. It'd be, yeah. you know, top shelf. And like Jeff Brooks, he's, um, I think he had a brother as well that used to do that kind of stuff or he might have just DJed in town or something. But um, like he could do a windmill and like I'm talking about nearly full-on power moves, like competition stuff because yeah, he's yeah. a really big bloke but he's really strong. Yeah. But he could ha- like do a windmill, hop rocks, you know, head rocks and then just really slow down yeah. and then do it the other way. Fuck. And God. it's like, oh, what? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, and a bit later on after that I met B-Boy Busk. Um, Peter Freckman was already doing head spins and um, uh, he used to come over and um, with Jason Murphy um, who they used to live on our, our line like it was either Benoon or Sunnybank. Um, I think Peter Freckman lived at Logan actually. Mm. Um, they went to Salisbury High School. Okay, yeah. Maybe yeah. is where they all they yeah. all were. But because we'd always get off at similar train lines after going to similar events, they're the ones you'd talk to. Yeah, of course. And then, you know, eventually, um, and this I think might have been before Hams would come over as well, was um, before my mum and dad got home from work. Yeah. We'd clear all the chairs out of our lounge room. Yeah. Um, if we had cardboard, we'd put that down. But otherwise, we'd just practice breaking moves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so it must have been must have been eighty five because um, the President's Gala performance, which is Ronald Reagan. Fuck me. Yeah. yeah. So Ronald Reagan's inaugural President's Gala performance thing. Yeah. I think that was eighty five. Um, um, if it was eighty six, it'd be pretty early. Um, it might have even been like. January 9th, 1985. God, if that's right, it'd be amazing. <laughs> um, and they played Apache in this oh, wow. presidential thing and yeah. the New York City Breakers were yeah. in this, like it was a full-on top shelf, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nose yeah. in the air kind of do. Yeah. And the New York City Breakers just rocked it. Everyone in the whole, I, I don't know what it was, the venue was just riveted. Wow. Um, For Reagan. Yeah, and yeah. and us guys at home, um we had a VCR that was one of those ones that had like a, they call it like a forehead VCR, which yeah. is um, a VHS video tape recorder. Yeah, 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 yeah. So after recording that um, and other shows that had anything to do with like even a remote thing to do with hip hop or anything. Oh yeah, fuck yeah. Um, I remember there would be sections of the tape that would get fuzzy just from you pausing, pausing it on it. that section. Exactly. And because when you pause a tape. Um, it's not like just pausing a bit of data that gets to reread from memory. Yeah. The tape head actually spins and stripes across the That's tape. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it just sits there just spinning on the same it. bit of tape. Yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah. And when, um, oh, I can't remember the guy's name now in the New York City Breakers that does that head spin, it just goes forever. Fuck. And all of us are just screaming at the telly because whoever did the camera <laughs> angle edit, you know, um, yeah. the live editor for the camera angles, yeah, yeah. zoomed in on his head. <laughs> So you can't – you can see his head spinning yeah, around, yeah, but you yeah. can't see the rest of the – Exactly. The, how magnificent that must have looked in the big stadium, yeah, you know. Yeah. There's little bits of it you can. Yeah. You know, but um, – And that shit would have just blown your mind at that point in time, no doubt. Yeah, and yeah. Um, I think it's Mr. Freeze. Yeah, okay, yeah. He does yeah. The, the, the pop locking in that as well. It was just amazing. The other um, – just about video at, the, at about that time when um, Peter Freckman, um, Anthony – 
Ashwood, which is Tony Ashwood or BB Ashwood or Tony and T. Again, and once again, just for people listening, we've spoke. I think Peter Frickman's come up on this original podcast. Hype. Yeah, original dude. He designed the hype logo and all that yeah. kind of thing, didn't he? Yeah, for hype magazine yeah. and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, I'm just looking. I'm just looking at these bits of. Oh well, I brought some stuff over just to show the guys, and I found a birthday card here from Hams. Oh fuck, nineteen eighty-five or something like that. And no, no one's taking a photo of it. (laughs) But um, but, um, just just on what you're saying with Peter Freckman, um, my kind of my handwriting's like Chook Scratch. It's really shit house basically. And when I draw, it's kind of always kind of scratchy at first, and then I'll just get to neaten up, and it ends up sort of coming into focus if you like, and looks like something. Yeah. Um, and with Hams and sitting beside him all those years and, and like, you, you can't even put pen to paper, not even thinking about it, without it being perfect, you know what yes, I mean? Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and, you know, point in case, have a look how small that handwriting is down there. And I know you can't see this at home. Fuck, man. But, um, and there's the blue piece. Yeah, and blue? Peter Frickman oh, um, and his artwork and all those hype mags and that, you can kind of see the same oh, thing. Like, he's just got this perspective and when con- the fuck control. Is this so, um, 21st. Yeah, oh, is that what that is? That must yeah. be. There you go. Happy twenty first, Jeff. Fuck, that's mm. so sick, dude. And that was the um that there was the center spread in a hype magazine. I remember. Oh, was it? Yeah, shit a brick. That oh, piece. that says blue, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was a blue yeah. piece. Um, there was a there was an art gallery exhibition um at South Brisbane called Two Bees in a Hive by Ben Osborne and oh, Hams. Really? Yeah, yeah, and the B for Ben, and I think the other B was for blue. I'm kind of making this up here, but it's pretty. It's something to do with that. Yeah. Um, and I've got some photos of that. Oh, they've got lots of photos of work as well. Yeah. And it's yeah, that yeah. kind of quality, little drawings and other bits of pieces of art that is like three-dimensional uh, like structures just, you know, yeah. collaged together. That yeah. It, it was just um, a different thing to have happen, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, for us at that time, for, for Ben and Hams to do that. And uh, I suppose that would have been 89 probably actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, R.O.P. Ben, God bless. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Fuck yeah. Rest in peace to Ben O. Um but fucking, what was I saying? Oh, the um, that fucking. What did you show us just before we came on air? The the first, the first piece like New York style graffiti done in a gallery. That you know that shit you were showing oh, us. Oh right. Um. Oh man, here we go. Yeah, there was a. It's called outside art. When was this? Eighty six, November, so, October nineteenth to November eighth, nineteen eighty six. We've got to take a photo of this dude. Like this is yeah, fucking insane. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't think I've scanned that one. Sent it to you yet. And this was uh, this was one of the first times graffiti art had been given like the gallery sort of. Yeah, I don't think Australia has had uh, a canvas of graffiti that's kind of the New York, you know, yeah. lettering celebration kind of graffiti that we do with aerosol cans. Um, on a canvas, especially at that scale, in yeah. an art gallery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like this, yeah, it was as big as the walls I'm looking at it in this house right now, if you can imagine that. It's just, yeah. it was massive, this um, canvas piece. How that came about is the first year that Hams and I went to school together at Cav Road, Yeah, we did, um, oh, what do you call it, when you work experience or whatever. Oh, work experience, yeah. Yeah, yeah. where you, yeah. yeah, you, anyway, so our art, teacher he knew this kind of loose cannon guy um i shouldn't describe him as that he's just such a free spirit this bloke yeah you know? yeah, yeah um and his name's malcolm enright and he's quite famous or or known or prominent if you like in this in the brisbane art world at the time he'd done some major designs for companies you know yeah. when they need things yeah. and one of the ones that you guys might may know is 
Um, in the 80s and early 90s, the handwritten big yellow FM 104 logo. Okay. Yeah, okay. well, yeah. he was asked to do the logo and he was doing all these things and in the end he just wrote it with a pen. Yeah. And they said, yeah, that's the one. So that's his handwriting. <laughs> Fucking hell. Yeah, and um, yeah, <laughs> FM 104 rocks in stereo. Yeah, and what was he, a curator for this exhibition or something like yeah, that? Um, yeah, overseas there, I think they might mention the other art gallery there. Um, I do have a spiel on it, but it's not in front of me. Yeah. There was a, well, we'll call it a sister gallery over there that was going through the same predicament where these little spaces that have been a hive of, you know, creativity and for people to communicate at those, those kind of levels um, and show it to the public was getting demolished to make way for, you know, high density inner city dwelling yeah. or yeah. more street level bloody cafes or something. Yeah. And that was in New York. Yeah. And here, just next to the um, Botanical Gardens, or one street away from Botanical Gardens, the same thing was happening. Hmm. Um, that space, art galleries call that space, was yeah. going to get knocked down soon. So it was kind of like to get more interest into the place to keep it there. Yeah. Um, it turned out it was going to get knocked down. Uh, it did get knocked down a little little bit later anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was, yeah, that's the link between the two. And, um, Fuck, it's unreal. Yeah. Two local street art gangs, New Wave Art versus United Style Kings, 5 p.m. October 19. Fucking hell, 1986. Like, this is history, dude. So, like, you and Hams, you linked up with Hams. Where does that relationship sort of – did you did you continue painting with Hams? And, I mean, like you said, what you show us there, like, fucking, you know, a hand-drawn sketch from 1989, like the meticulous approach that Hams would take mm. to – you know, it's anything he does even to this day, you know, artwork, design and all that kind of thing. But it just shows even back then in his graffiti, you know. I mean, fucking A, it showed back then in his graffiti. You go back to all the old, the yeah. Hitman piece, the fucking blah, 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 everything, you know, like you saw it there. Dude, were you there for the Hitman piece? Were you around yep. in those? Yeah, yeah no, I, I think in one of the, there's a, a block at the start of the H. Yeah. And it's got tags in it. And one of them's the Jaffa tag. Oh, fuck off. And Lev yeah. was with us as well. Yeah, yeah, Lev's yeah. kind of a... a bigger dude than us say like you know he's, he's good for a lookout and and also to stand on shoulders yeah yeah i don't yeah. know if you ever saw the um the choice piece choice tez at dutton park oh i think it was so yeah, massive yeah, yeah. near that japanese yeah. import motor wreckers place yeah 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 yeah, yeah. um that wall was huge and mm. the choice is kind of done by kiwi hams uh, and maybe tony t and catch okay yeah. and then the tez is just done by tez yeah but the letters are massive and it's my brother standing on lev's shoulders to Holy get that fuck. done and because it's on a downhill, um, it, it sits about the same height as the choice piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I'll have to get that photo out and it's, it's probably somewhere on the Oh, dude. Did you ever paint trains or anything like that? No. I, there was um, a holding yard at Rock Lee. Yeah, yeah. And um, that's, you know, for lettering on trains. Um, Tez, uh, there was like a UA piece or a USK piece as well. Hams did a new piece that same day for that. Oh, the stencils. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I used to run the Cheech Wizard stencils. Yeah, yeah. All up and down the train line. I remember um, Kiwi and Catch or something saying that, you know, I saw your Jaffa tag next to the Cheech Wizard come yeah. through Central. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm like, <laughs> wow, you know, because once it's on there, it's probably, you know, if they, until they get a chance to clean it off, and they probably don't have yeah. a routine schedule for that at that time. It's at so that, early. that point in time, no. No, me. so the trains have got to do their, their run until yeah. they're due for a clean. yeah. Um, well, they'd be, they'd, you know, like for what it's worth, I mean, they'd be only seeing it for the first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Clean you know, trains. So how do you been deal bombed with it? anywhere. Yeah, you're not exactly. even not even window scratched. Which yeah, I, dude. Which Fuck. I frown upon a bit. But anyway, yeah. do what you do. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not about that. Not about doing the scratchies yeah, and the scratchies. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Even the bombing, actually. Even though I, you know, would not stop anybody while I was there, and I was just yeah. watching what happened. You know, what we could see in magazines to get your name up. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's how you do it. Yeah. You know, um, the weird thing was half of the bombing 
is either you like your fellow members of the crew, you'd tag them as well. Of course. Or whatever you thought was funny at the time, you write that as well. Or just, yeah. you know, there's all these little other um, side things that are written as well. Yeah. Anyway, so the trains get plastered. I've got a really early um, QR train in inside the carriage, just looking from one end to the other, yeah. and there's no one in it, and there's just black marker. From top to bottom, just thrash. Yeah. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's not totally dripping, but it's like it, it, I found the photo the other day, and I thought, wow, I didn't even know that that kind of I couldn't remember that that went on then. It's definitely from our photos, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because um, that definitely went on through the nineties, you know, like yeah. insides were fucking, you know, getting oh, thrashed and shit. On the timeline side of things, um, once my brother, about eighty-seven, he turned 17, 18 then, um, so he went to Queensland for his apprenticeship as an electrician. Yeah. Went to the QCA, yeah, Queensland College of Art there at Morningside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just by sheer coincidence, the um, reason why Hams and I went to Cavendish Road was the Queensland government had an initiative for um, the Centre of Artistic Development, it was mm. called, mm. and we applied for that while we were in our grade 10 schools, like he was at Rochdale, I was. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we got accepted into it. It was his mum's idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, for why don't, you go, why don't you guys try out for this? She saw it in the paper or something, I can't remember. We both got in, and there was only eight people allowed in that program for two years. Yeah. Um, so the grade um, eleven, which is nineteen eighty six, was the year that that um, Malcolm Enright stuff happened with yeah. the art gallery and that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and my brother worked the next year. I think no, both both years. Every Friday, because they structured your courses at school so that. Um, you know, you your and, yeah, your core subjects yeah. would be definitely done and together. Yeah, and then all your art kind of yeah. subjects would be bunched up on the Friday, which we would go to the Queenslander College yeah. of Art on a Friday. Yeah, Morningside Tafe. Yeah, Morningside Tafe, yeah, and that's too. where my brother works. So we'd always hook up with him, talk to him, and that. Yeah. Um, and uh, is it still standing, Morningside Tafe? Do you know? Yeah. It's still I think, there? I think it is. I don't, know, I don't know what they use, the, use it for. Because yeah. I did my apprenticeship. When I did my apprenticeship, like I can tell a similar story. Like me and Proof, when we were in high school, me and Overproof Pete, uh, we did like an animation course there and we were going there from school. Mm. We did like an airbrush course, then an animation course or some shit like that. And I think the animation, the airbrush course might have been Yorongatafe or something like that. But, you know, like we were just shitbags at school. So like, they'd give you like these extracurricular activities to go do. So, you know, you could leave school to go do this for fucking two hours on a Wednesday afternoon or something like that. And then we did an animation one at Morningside Tape. And I remember going to Morningside Tape and they'd just be graph everywhere. Like, and then, you know, a year or two later, I'm doing my apprenticeship for my trade and I had to go to that tape for fucking wow. to do the college and shit. And just even then, there was like legal, not legal walls, it was obviously walls, but they were doing like just mad art shit. That, like, I remember DTS tags being everywhere through that fucking TAFE, like, you know, all the crazy writers at the time seemed to have gone through there, you know, like. Yeah, because of the, that it's on the Cleveland line, I think. Seemed um, to be a real creative yeah, space for, for you, shit back Yeah, then. the train line goes through Buranda, yeah, I think, yeah. and you get off at Morningside. Yeah, into Morningside. And yeah. that's how we probably spotted that wall where Hams did the first Sharon piece, I think it was, under uh, that wall. Okay, and then yeah, Kiwi yeah. did uh, something or other there as well. Yeah. And then it just went on. Well, because you also had the interchange at fucking Park Road. So, you, yeah. you know, if you're on the Bean Lee line, you get off at of Park Road to go down the Cleveland line. So, yep. you know, yeah. But, I mean, graffiti, dude, like, do you still have any sort of passion for it? Like, you brought, you know, Jeff's brought us all a bunch of sketches from, like, 85, 86. Do you maintain that sort of passion just through your friendships with him? and all that sort of thing that have, you know, happened throughout the years? Or do you still maintain any interest in graffiti? Oh, I'm definitely interested in what others do and, you know, yeah. you know, show me heaps of stuff and I just look at it. And yeah. because there's a lot on Instagram, you don't have to go far to see it's what's true. happening these yeah, days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
And and just to know, um, like any of your friends that you've uh, grew up with doing graph um, or just artwork in general, mm. um, even if it's just to record covers, design, like people that yeah. are into design, yeah. they will see something and they'll just, you know, send it to you, you know, so you see your link. Yeah. Um, so you know what the kind of state of things are these days. Um, I was just going to go back a bit for a bit. Um, for some reason I thought of the artwork on the English artwork on the uh, – it's an English series of records called the Electros. Oh, bro. The Electro series. And they've come up a couple yeah. of times on this show. And yeah. predominantly, initially, yeah. they were all uh, New York 12 inches or American 12 inches yeah. records that would come Pressed out. Pressed in Britain? Or uh, and yeah, and then they, yeah. um, Morgan Kahn, I think his name was, um, who I've met, he came to the, the Hydrofunk headquarters once, Resin Dogs joint. Yeah. And, um, couldn't believe it was him. He, he started the whole... What, the Do the Creator, yeah, the, the yeah, Electro Series. The Electro Holy Series, fuck. yeah. No shit. Um, just prior to that, he had compilations of disco and kind of covers rock disco stuff and dance music. Yeah, like yeah. He, he's been around for a bit. He knows what he's doing. Yeah. And um, yeah, so that is a way that a lot of that music got around to all of us really quick. Yeah. Um, uh, like the, the track, The Smurf by Tyrone Brunson, which is 1982, might be 1981, but... Um, it had a Futura artwork on the front of yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, yeah. some of the records I just brought here for a bit of show and tell. Yeah. Um, great for radio. Is um, <laughs> Great for podcasting. <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, that's got a Futura artwork on it as well. And, yeah. Um, this is like 1980, 81, 82, 83, yeah. a lot of the celluloid stuff. Yeah. Um, there was a guy that lives at the end of our street on the way to school named Paul Gilbert. Mm. So... That was grade eight, so geez, I must have been eighty three or something like that. Yeah, eighty four. And I would go to his house every morning, and we would just break. And he's got an older brother, Michael. We used to just break, and you know, not that too advanced, like anything kind of above the worm and yeah. bum spinning. Yeah, 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 yeah. Would, you know, and I had that record. I had Electro Four, and it was just from going into the city and trying to find the music that. Yeah, that you, you know, were hearing. Mm, yeah. Um, and just after that was when the pleated pants came in with the baggy pants. Yeah, okay. And you got pleats in the side. Yeah. Um, I think my mum made me a pair, so that's pretty embarrassing. <laughs> and they're all pastel colours and things like that. Sure. You know, the 80s had that real yeah, dude. Yeah, ge geometric um, yeah. bloody pastel colours. Yeah, man. I mean, half strong the, primary colours. Even too. half the rap crews that you see from those early 80s, late 70s look like they could have just walked out of a fucking gay bar. <laughs> like, you know, like the leather and the studs and the yeah. shit and, you well, know. Well, a lot of, yeah, the late 70s. Disco. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's it. It's born from the disco and the punk and all that yeah. sort of thing, a lot of those fashions, you know, okay. that sort of. There's no no boundaries to. That's right. The the way that the art form sort of just grew. Yeah, yeah. Um, and those other um, areas as well or genres, whatever you want to call it, um, like punk and that, you know. It's like New that, wave, all that sort of shit that was coming out of, yeah. you know, like. Like yeah. it was nearly a prerequisite to start a punk band that you can't play. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. Fucking know. A, dude. Fucking yeah, A. Yeah, yeah. so <laughs> don't tell me I can't, you know, just. You I just do what I want to do. Yeah, exactly. Sounds great. Feels yeah. good. You and, yeah. and 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 it's um it includes other people. Like you can't, uh, which is, you know, one of the, one of the things with getting a lot of pieces done on the line. Sometimes you have a lookout person, or you got someone to stand on their shoulders, mm -hmm. or just people that do filling. Mm. Um, uh, like you know, all those pe people around that one piece and the iron last piece to get that done in the time of the. Um, art gallery, there's yeah. people filling in the rocks, you know, while others yeah. are still doing the lettering or the, or the character in the middle. Yeah. Um, there was a character at the end too out of the movies called Wizards and because the uh, – just a bit, bit of a background on this. 
when we got there, the even though it was massive, the canvas. When you think of a wall outside on a train line, yeah, you know, you feel, you lose scope of how big that actually is. Yeah, certainly. You know, when you're, you're standing just, in front of it. Yeah, yeah. So when this canvas we got there in the art gallery, it, it was kind of it needed to be twice the size of what it was for two crews to do different pieces. Yeah. So in a millisecond, because we're all friends anyway, because honestly, the the environment was not how it got to later with crews at uh, right. battling and like yeah, yeah, get yeah. frowned upon when you see each other and see yeah. whatever happened. But when there's only fucking 10 people in Brisbane doing yeah. something. Well, like, yeah, it was geez. all yeah. help, you know, helping each other out and trying to keep in contact on a phone that has a dialing Yes. So all, all that kind of stuff. The, um, oh, where were we? I don't know. Oh, the last piece, the the gallery thing, like the magnitude yeah. of it and just doing it and everyone filling yeah. it in. and Yeah, know. so um, we just all agreed that we'll just do one piece, um, which was Hams and Peter Freckman looked after lettering yeah. and the character in the middle. Yeah. Um, myself and Tez did the character from the Wizards movie. Yeah. I think his name's Fritz. Yeah. And that's on the um, far left of the piece. And then there's all the rocks and the fill-in and a few tags and a scroll, I think. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Anyway, we'll get to some photos and post them up, I suppose. Yeah, um, I'd fucking love to. There, yeah. There's already some out there. We've just got to link them to the right people, you know, yeah, you know, yeah. right, right spot so people can see it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Where else are we going? Yeah. <laughs> this shit goes everywhere. Well, dude, where does, where does music pick up for you? Like, obviously the graph, you know, like you left graph alone at a point. You just sort of started focusing on music or what happened there? Um, well, did you, so keep, my, my did brothers... you keep painting into the 90s or no? No. No, no, I, I'd stopped about 1988. Yeah, um, for a couple of reasons. Um, two years going to school with Hams, um, grade 11 and 12. Mm. At the end of grade 12, which is 87, a guy named Brian Petz was introduced to me because a friend that used to go to the school that I that went to the school that I used to go to, Sunnybank High School. Mm. There was a Sunnybank High School party of some sort at yeah, the end yeah, of grade yeah. 12 for yeah. them. Yeah. In 87. Yeah. Um, and Des was talking to this bloke that's kind of new in town named Brian about hip-hop and stuff. I don't know how it got onto that, just interesting things. Yeah. And I think Brian said to him, oh, you won't know the hip-hop tracks that I know. <laughs> Brian was from Cairns yeah. and really was into the imports and whatever he could find in magazines would import it. He would add, you know, whatever he could find. Yeah, yeah. And then Des just starts rattling off names in response to that and just nailed it. And yeah, Brian yeah. goes, shit, you do know. And then and Des says, yeah, I've got this guy named Jeff. He just lives up the road. He's got all this stuff, you know. I'm showing this bloke that does graffiti hams and, you know, his brother does graffiti. And so that's, so I said, okay, we'll go, I'll, I'll see this guy. Well, he went and, uh, to introduce him to me and he lived at the end of my street. Yeah. So the end of my street, Brian moves in. Um, Hams and I finish high school together. Yeah. I get a job in 1988. The hip-hop show with Brian starts in 1988. Fuck, yeah. Um, Hams has got a lot more communication with um, graph guys from interstate. Yeah. To the point where he moved interstate very soon after that. By that stage, yeah. 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 So um, kind of music came along just at the time where Hams needed to keep going and exploring the art stuff. Yes. And I, I was hell-bent on... Um, just finding more music and mixing it together. I just used to love from the Electro series, basically, from yeah. way back in that 1983, 84 kind of year when they came out. Of the bit where two beats yeah. off different records from different people in the different parts of the planet 
Um, they've got their idea of a perfect beat and then some DJ grabs, grabs them and puts them together. Yeah. Where they just overlay perfectly yeah. is just something new that's been created. Yeah. I should love that stuff. And you yeah. can do it yourself. Just go pick up a record and give it a go. You know, with another record, you feel like it'd, yeah. it'd keep the energy going or whatever. Did you know it as sampling? Did you know it as anything at that point? <sighs> that wasn't time? around yet. No. 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 Sampling as far as like one you could purchase and take home. Yeah. That I think it was 86 might have been the first one you could do with that. I think okay. SB12 wasn't even uh, – where early. did you? Where would you access an SB12 in Australia at that stage? Like at that, oh, like don't fuck, know. don't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, no. Nah. You know, some some recording studios would have them. Yeah, yeah. You know, but it might be endorsed by the companies that make these things. True. Like true. Yeah, yeah. You know, Yamaha synths and things like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. You know, they just try and get. You know, Phil Collins is coming into the studio, so we'll give him every Yamaha DX synth there is, whatever. Yeah, to muck yeah, around. yeah. The um S. 900 sampler that I got first was way after Kestro got his first. Now, this is talking about – still going back to where you said, did you stop doing graffiti yeah. for any reason or anything like that? Yeah. Just growing more creatively on the music side and meeting more people that were on the music side. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's definitely what happened. Um, because in 19 – at the end of 87, apart from Brian moving um, at the end of my street, 4 Z decided to put on – a um, Brisbane's first Def Jam mm, at mm. the South East South Leagues Club, sorry, yeah, down at West End. Yeah, so this would have been one of the first hip hop jams Brisbane yeah. ever saw. Yeah. yeah, because prior to the hip hop show in '88, there were there was hip hop definitely on Four Triple Z. It was like, you know, you could hear anything off the Celluloid label, you know, with Material. Mm. It was the name of the group, Bill Aswell, all those guys that did the Rocket music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. Um, and other DST related stuff, and there's heaps of other stuff other than that. Um, coming out of New York and England that was a bit, you know, it had all these new instruments but they're not being used to please the pop world. They're That's just right. being explored and yeah, as a new yeah. thing to sort of create your musical art on. Yeah. Yeah, so that That's was. an amazing way of putting it too. Yeah, mm, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, well, Triple Z would just um, play all that t- mm. stuff and um, in other, well, Triple, well, Double J I suppose it would have been called in yeah, Sydney. Yeah, Double J at that Yeah, they would have been time. doing the same stuff as well. I do yeah. remember getting tapes. don't know where I got them from yeah. um, early on and there was people um, doing promo spots in about 1985 on Double J and they were using um, Alna Fish and stuff like that and Mantronics all meshed together. Fuck. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. so um, it was all happening really quick. Yeah. Um, though, you know, the not only is graffiti do-it-yourself kind of stuff and expressing yourself but um, give me some more audio, you that I can mesh together and yeah. pull apart and yeah. add my stuff to, find a children's record, scratch it up to it, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, the the um, for, well, where are we going here? This is going to go rare. Oh, what I'll, well, we'll just jump for um, two seconds to about 1981 where, when I um, moved from Bathurst. I used to live in Bathurst. Yeah. Um, I think some of the guys in Sleeping Monk's crew called the Dirtbox Kings, they, they're from Bathurst as well, so peace out to those guys. Yeah. Um, and um, oh, Dirtbox Kings, um, Sleeping Monk, there's a, a dude, Smoke and Jodes, does some production from them. I've heard of the name, yeah. Yeah, check out Smoke and Jodes beats, yeah. um, like, you know, Sandro and Catalyst and that yeah. kind of vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This dude's nuts. It's yeah. so good. Yeah. Anyway, I do So I, I um, lived in Bathurst for three years, moved up here in 81, and pretty soon after that, bought Kraftwerk's Computer World album. Yeah. Like that's the kind of sounds I was after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all the compilations that came out in the, you know, from 1975, let's say, I can remember that year specifically, 
because um, Dad had a compilation. There was heaps of compilations that came out yearly, like um, Ripper, Scorcher, yeah. um, Whopper, yeah, Sizzler, yeah, all that yeah. kind of shit. Bro, I just went yeah. through, like I just moved house <laughs> and like fucking went through my record collection and I've just got tons of that sort of shit. Like I just picked yeah. up bits and pieces, like go to fucking record fairs, shit like that, like just pick up shit because it might have one joint on it or something like that, like Scorcher, Ripper, yeah. Eater, like the, whatever the fuck they were called, you know, like just yeah. compilations from whatever year. I just turfed so much shit, eh? Mm. Like, yeah. So, so I didn't have to so move. So towards it. the end of the seventies, because we had a tape deck that you could record the record player, yeah. I would start making tapes that are of the best stuff. You know, just get them together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah it would yeah. be. Um, I, I don't actually remember putting Kraftwerk on, but I do remember Kraftwerk off that first Ripper album in '75 yeah. was one that I absolutely loved because it was completely different to everything else. Yeah. Roughly about the same time, there was an electronic guy named Jean Michael Jar with a song called Oxygen. Okay. Any of the disco stuff that was kind of electronic, yeah. I would gravitate to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, yeah, a lot of disco tapes in there mum and dad had, um, apart from all their rock stuff from way back in the shadows, which That's is why it. I knew Apache, Apache, you know, which everyone ended up breaking to, the Michael Verner's bron- bongo van- yeah. band version. I knew that song anyway from the shadows, which was a cover still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, there's yeah. lots of covers of yeah. it. Yeah. Um, if you can see, there's a documentary about C- Apache. I've heard, yeah, yeah. You've got to see it. It's um, yeah. it's pretty wild. Con- considering Michael Viner can't play any musical instrument at all, and Michael Viner's incredible bongo band is so world famous. Yeah, exactly. I remember yeah. Ego Trip Land posted that doco up about Apache. Yeah. Like that, and when that website was still going, yeah. And, and you wouldn't think it would fit, but um, the narrator is Gene Simmons from Kiss. Fuck. And it is perfect. Yeah. It okay. is really good. He's got a really patient but yeah. um, strong way of getting you through the whole movie. Um, yeah, Michael Viner, uh, he, for MGM Records, I think it was, and MGM Movies and that kind of thing, yeah. and getting soundtracks together. He would get musicians together to get the soundtrack done. And one in particular I think that I'm thinking of is a soundtrack called um, – oh, I lost it. But anyway, there's a, a soundtrack called RPM is what it's called. Uh, um, I think the music though is written by somebody else, but he got the group, the bands together. And if you listen to um, some of the tracks on that, one track's called The Riot. Yeah. Same bongo player, same drummer I think. And it's um, or it could be the same drummer because they don't they haven't nailed who the drummer is. Because it's possibly it's one of two. Yeah. But um, yeah. So it's got a real b-boy break feel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In the soundtrack called RPM that came out before um the Incredible Bongo Band album. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it's called the Riot the track. Anyway, so that's how he kind of did that, and then had a hit single with Bongolia and Bongo Rock. And then, okay, let's just make a whole album. So they made a whole album and Apache was on it as one of the covers. And Fuck. it's the way it's recorded is just mental. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got the perfect drum sound that sort of pumps and breathes and gets you amped. Yeah. You know, it's got enough breaks in it that you can mix anything to or mix it on top of itself, whatever. Yeah. Um, it goes well with Scorpio, you know, by Dennis Coffey, that yeah. kind of bongo break. Yeah. F- fanaticness is the word for today. Um, <laughs> fanaticness. <laughs> yeah. Hectism is a word. <laughs> you learn new things here every day, mate. <laughs> but yeah. so where does where did, like where where does that go? Like wh- that that love for, you know, early electro and all that sort of thing. Like when when do you start hearing well, you know, when does hip hop sort of come into play and all that? You know, as things progress. Um I mean, they're well, all an ext- they're an extension of one another, obviously. Yeah. You know, like. Well, at school, you really realise that you're you're interested in something that other people think's not normal. Mm. And see, what you're talking about is also 
Like that's the that's the absolute infancy of what was going on in hip hop. When you're talking about craft work and all that sort of shit, mm. and, you know the incredible bongo band and Apache and all that. Like to people listening, they might be like, oh, "What the fuck," you know. Mm. But this these are the records that were sampled to create hip hop music, and you were hearing yeah. them before this was even a tangible thing here in this country. You know, like yeah, mum, mum and dad didn't have that much of that kind of music themselves. Yeah, but um, in the seventies, where I I. Um, in my house where I grew up, mm. so to speak. There's bits and pieces, though, when I did start looking for things to sample and just make mega mixes yeah. on, on tape in the early 80s because I definitely was doing that. Yeah. Um, but being old enough to have your own pocket money and buy records in a store and there is not one mention of hip-hop, rap doesn't exist. Yeah. Like when I'm eight years old and, you know, walking around with my grandfather it was um, and he bought me – Turns out, which ends up being a cool record now, mm. is the first Paul McCartney album, or the Paul McCartney tour it might have been. Okay. But it's got this track on it, which is called Temporary Secretary, yeah. which um, is kind of an electro. He had these electro um, uh, drum machines and a synthesizer or yeah. keyboard controller or something in the studio. Yeah. So he made these crazy arpeggiating loops and things and did a Paul McCartney, you know, he's got good pop sensibilities, that bloke. You yeah, can't yeah, yeah. put that past him. Yeah. He's a, the world's most famous bass player. Yeah, well, yeah, true. And, um, true. Yeah, so the song travels really well and it's got a bit of a corny subject matter. And all these years later, so that's about 1978, my granddad would buy me that kind of music and there's absolutely nothing to do with hip-hop at all in the no. store, everywhere no. in the world because it's not been made yet. Yeah. You know, it's not been made marketable. That's right. In, in the way that Sylvia Robinson, let's say, did with, yeah. you know, that Sugar Hill gang release. Yeah. Um, yeah, anyway, to, with the, going back to Paul McCartney, um, Fatboy Slim did a festival at Brighton, I think it was, mm. and he played that song all these years later. No shit. And then everyone was just onto it. Yeah. You know, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so it became one of those yeah. songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's it's kind of the DJing culture and just good music and don't put up any boundaries. I That's don't care it. if it's a Beatles member song. I'll just play it because I reckon yeah. the crowd will move to this yeah, and I don't yeah. need to be allowed to or given the okay that it's, you know, you just do what you want to do yeah. wherever yeah. and be happy with that. Yeah. You know? and that That's the moment you're living in. Well, when did you become sort of first knowledgeable or when did you first discover the break, like a break, you know, like that in the record? Um, oh. There's, oh, there's a bit tough. Because <laughs> I know my folks had a Black Sabbath record, and when I started to making when I started making mixes yeah. to play at the skate ramp, because yeah. we I'd always bring my boombox to the skate ramp that my brother and Scott built at Wind Street um, in Sunnybank, which is yeah. probably the biggest skate ramp in Brisbane at the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, freestyle ramp for bikes and that as well. Yeah. Um, so my boombox, I'd always play mixes, and I'd mix stuff at home off um, you know no parking by. Um, Midnight Star into any of the um, songs that were coming out on Sugar Hill, stuff on that's on the on the Electro series, shit that would come out on um, K Day mixes already yeah, mixed, and I'd mix them again. Yeah, 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 so yeah. to break that up, I'd put little incidental bits that I'd find off records at home, yeah. and one of them was a drum break from Dad's Led Zeppelin, um, sorry, Black Sabbath record. Yeah, um, it's called Behind the Wall of Sleep. Oh fuck, of course. Yeah, yeah so yeah, that yeah. was about. Cypress Hill used that, I think. Yeah, so that's eighty. That's eighty-five that yeah. I was putting those uh, that in a tape. Then eighty-six, I used it again, and then the hip-hop show, I made an ad and put it in that again. Shit, you yeah. know. And then the after the year after the hip-hop show, oh, hang on. Yeah, the second Jungle Brothers album done by the Forces of Nature. Is that okay, it? yeah. yeah. Um, 
I never listened to Yeah, Beads on a String used that break. That's when it first got massively used kind of in a hip-hop song. Yeah. yeah. And then those kind of things, you know, where I'm just signposting my history kind of thing, it just felt good to know that you're on the same path as other people um, and it's the energy that we're all after kind of thing. Anyone can come at it from different angles. Yeah, absolutely. But we're all after that that thing that brings us all together. Yeah. Um, Which is one of the things I just love about the the hip-hop related community and in this country especially – um, you know, Perth is such a long way away as far as capital city go, cities yep. go in the world and yet we know we've been there, we know everybody and, we, yeah, you know, yeah. you send tapes, you, yeah. you get someone to do the DJ part on a track, it doesn't matter where you're from, yep. you know. Um, just to go back a bit there, where was I going with the electro stuff? Um, so in 1984 um, I was in grade nine. Mm. And for that whole year, a guy was with me named, um, well, he ended up calling himself Casino, Jason. Ah, oh, word. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, before I'd met Hams, I was at school with Casino for a year. Shit. Fine. And I was already, as I was saying, I wasn't painting on walls earlier on. Yeah. But because of what I saw on the, what Dondi was doing and um, Brim, I think it is, in some of those early film clips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was already um, doing pieces and bubble letters and, and letters that are fatter than normal, yes. you know, in that New York style, if you like, on my yeah. books. Yeah. So, you know, chicks at school or whatever, the easiest one to do is bubble letters, you know. Yeah. Like, can you do my name on my book? Yeah, yeah. And I remember doing that in science class with Mr. Hayes for Casino. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it was just good friend Jason. Yeah. You know, doing letters on his books. Yeah. And I, after that year, I, he must have left or something. I hadn't seen him for ages. And the next time I saw him, um, uh Dogtown was doing incredible graph. He was painting whole cars. It was doing, nuts. It yeah, was, yeah, 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 absolutely blew me away. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, so that that was a spin out to we to be going with going to school with both those two guys at different times. And it was all about and skating learning so and much. Of clearly about like BMXing, skating and all that sort of shit. Like, you know, yeah. I mean, like you said, Dogtown, you know, like mm. his first tag was Dogtown, you know, or one of his earliest tags. Yeah, you know? I, I wouldn't even know the origins of where it actually starts with him with all that name. But yeah, yeah it's, um, well, that's skating and shit. Yeah. Clearly. Yeah. Know, oh, like, yeah, yeah, I know that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what happened after that? Oh, man. Well, I mean, jumping forward, dude, like, you know, like, I mean, we can go through this history for fucking hours, you know, but like sort of jumping into where you, you know, where you kick off the uh, the hip-hop show, like, you know, the first hip-hop show Brisbane ever had, uh, mm. Just Too Deaf, you know. Yeah, well, because or of prior the- prior to that, the Def Jam, mm. the Def Jam thing that Triple Z put on. Well, the increased sprinkling, if you like, of hip-hop and rap music on mm. the radio, um, mm. especially community radios all throughout the country, mm. probably throughout the world at that time, I would imagine, um, you know, in any language possibly because it was just, just such a, an art form. It's just amazing how yeah. it just people um, gravitate to it. Um, the Triple Z decided to put on a Def Jam at the end of 1987 in December 1987, which is about the same time Brian moved to town and we were talking about records and that stuff every day because he lived at the end of my street. And um, Brian became your co-host on... Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we, yeah. we entered this DJ competition, which was to be held at that Def Jam. Yeah. Um, and funny enough, Brian's never owned a mixer mixer <laughs> with his turntables. Mm. Um, so he could use the line input or the turntable that was on it, but there was a three-in-one, like, you know, with a tuner and a yeah, tape yeah, deck yeah, and yeah, a yeah. record player. Yeah. So he had a three-in-one and the, the dial was the fader. Fuck. So he would <laughs> he would do that and he was good at it, you know. And so I would – we'd have three turntables. Yeah. So that was the cutting turntable, which he would be on. Yeah. And then when it's time to mix, we would mix, I would mix, he would mix, doesn't matter. Yeah. 
so we just had um, quite a tight set where we would play like current jams. Um, oh, what was that? The eighty-seven. So we had like pump up the volume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Into Cabbage Patch by the World Class Wrecking Crew. Yeah. You know, it was just going all over the place, but yeah. it got people dancing, and because of that, um, and the other people in the competition kind of weren't just DJs, I think it ended up being there was people performing on the stage, which was on the flyer. But the people that were that um, awarded the competition gave it to a performing visiting group rather than yeah. DJs for the competition. Yeah, yeah. So Brian got the shit, says he like he's um <laughs> he's pretty unper- unpersuasive that guy. Yeah. Like I sort of didn't care. Um he Well the visiting crew from the Gold Coast. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah. Um even though I still I think maybe even people came up from uh, just us came up, maybe oh, no from shit. from Sydney. Yeah, okay. But they didn't have a record out then, so that'd be interesting. I'll have to check that out. But um, yeah. So we talked to the um, Susan Gardner. I'm pretty sure it was, and some other people that were organising the event, and they said, um, "Okay, we'll we'll just make it a, a, a double first place then." Yeah. And Brian still wasn't happy, <laughs> and he said, "Well, there's no permanent hip hop show." Why don't you give us a hip hop show slot? And yeah. he's thinking an hour. Yeah. Um, but he's telling me just now that he reckons that they gave us um, three hours from really? seven till ten. Fuck. I thought it was what from night? eight till ten on a Friday night, which is the most prime time so, for them to pull out the hat. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. So they just pull out that. Oh, we'll give you this, you know. And it's like done. Yeah. So um, we had to do some sort of pilot shows, but um, probably more panel oriented uh, learning the ropes kind of things in the graveyard shift hours. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. we'd go in there and sort of play a bit of our music with other people's shows yeah. for, a, for a couple of visits and then it was on the, the start of the year we had a, a radio show for the whole year. Yeah. What what did you play back then? Um, well, um, Do you remember the records? Like, Yeah, if you want to grab that box, I'll yeah, just go through them because that's pretty much – we treated that show in 1988 as kind of like an up, up until this point in our lives, we both can remember when there wasn't hip-hop. Yes. And now there is. So we had free reign on every year up until that point. Um, now, uh, just just a second here. You've got to remember there's no, like there's no, um, like third base hadn't released anything, I don't think, at that no. point. No, no, no. Um, oh, what, 88, third base? Uh, yeah, 88. There's none of that stuff, um, really. And um, Gangstar, I don't think, apart from maybe, maybe Positivity. I think that, well, third base would have predated Gangstar yeah, in like, terms of releases. Like, I mean, Gangstar's first release, I think, might have been 89 with No More Mr. Nice Guy. They yeah, may well, have had there, a 12 prior to that. They had a 12 prior to that produced by 45 King, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, but so, third, so, third um, base by 87, 88, I thought they were probably around by that stage. But that was the sort of stuff that we use breaking a lot of the Def Jam records. The Yeah, well, third base is a Def Jam record, exactly, yes. And, um, exactly. Yeah, so that wasn't even around yet. There's um, like Master Ace. Um, Oh, Music Man, that wasn't yeah. out yet. Mm. Um, Tribe Called Quest, there's no Tribe Called Quest to talk about. All no. that stuff's not around. Yeah. Um, mate, Three Feet High and Rising, what's that? That's uh, 88, 89, Daylight. Yeah, I think yeah. that might have been just on the edge of it. Yeah. Jungle Brothers did put um, Got It Like That out on a 12, I think, oh, okay. in, quite early. So I think we were onto that. And it was on an Electro. Um, electro changed to Hip Hop Electro and then just Hip Hop 21, 22, 23 and yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. there's a Jungle Brothers on an Electro series or Hip Hop series. Yeah. Well, I mean, I remember, you know, just at the start of the show, we mentioned a good friend of mine, Lops. Um, he had a specific electro record. I can't remember whether it was 14 or 15. And that's where I sort of learned a little bit about electro records. And once again, a massive rest in peace to Lops. But, oh, word, fucking sick. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, yeah, sorry. On that Electro record, whatever number it was, that had CIA. I'm pretty sure, you know, Ice Cube's early group with oh, yeah. Sir Jinx. And it also had King T's um, uh, Get Yourself a Gun. Or what What the fuck was the song? I can't remember. Oh, just you saying it, I know. Yeah, you got to yeah. have a gun or something. Yeah, yeah something like that, that yeah. old King T joint. But um, Yeah, but, oh, man, that were, were the joints too. Yeah, but that was that was an electro and that was in the teens, you know. But yeah. like, so when you go into that first show, Just Too Deaf, do you do you remember any of the records you brought? Like, what were you bringing? What were you about to play? Like, we, this is Brisbane's we, first hip-hop show, you know. We played things like um, The Roxy Phase 2. Fuck. Right? Now, that's probably got a year on it, like 1982 or something. Yeah, shit. Um, definitely Man Parish, Hip-Hop Bebop. Which is also probably eighty two. Yep, it is. Jesus Christ. Um, oh, that's the one with the Futura thing on it. So Tyrone Brunson. Uh, you can Google this if you're out there. Yeah. Um, the, the, the Smurf, Smurf, and it's got um, Futura Futura artwork on it. Yeah, I think yeah. that's eighty two as well. Um, I think the single for Malcolm McLaren's Duck Rock, um, Buffalo Girls, that was eighty two. Even though the album that's might a good be cover though. Fucking unreal. I guess a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now on on the back of the. Malcolm McLaren Duck Rock album. Mm. Fuck, these are in pristine condition, yes, dude. Jesus Christ, you've taken care of these over the years. Yeah, even on where um, oh man, the Supreme Team that features on the Duck Rock album, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is a, a New York radio show, um, bunch of compares that are quite quite humorous and they know their stuff. They get the listeners and the callers to call in and they just keep them up all hours and it's just great. So there's some backing music in that. In when the Supreme Team are talking. It says on the back of the Duck Rock cover, um, the interludes or something rather, features music from um, a group called Grand Groove and T-Ski Valley's um, Catch the Beat. So that's Grand Groove, Catch the Beat, which is what they're using in the Duck Rock album. Oh, that's the backing. So you heard this shit and then sort of went and hunted down the records that... Yeah. Yeah, that's that Midnight Star I was talking about earlier, which had no no parking on the dance floor. Yeah. Was... um, kind of a really good segue to people that were following the like the R&B kind of club music yeah, yeah, yeah. and hip hop breakers would love that as well you know yeah. it's like those kind of albums with the um, nearly they call it freestyle singing vocals yeah. and electronic beats you know so really, is this really, like Cameo or Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Yeah, Hyde, like all that, yeah, all style, that, stuff, that style yeah. of shit. Yeah, I'm scared yeah. to handle some of these. <laughs> yeah, bro, like Jeff is just pulling these records from out his crate. Like he brought a bit of show and tell for us and fuck me, they're just in pristine condition for records that you thrashed around in the 80s when you were a kid. Like fuck me. like A lot man, of these I've never seen my records in real life. To this. Yeah. Only, only photos. Yeah, um, Nucleus, yeah, holy shit. Yeah, Nucleus are... A band, like there's yeah, actually yeah. a band, even though it sounds like electronic drum machines, and that's a real bass player and keyboard player yeah, and whatnot. Yeah. Oh, it was a band, yeah. Um, and they had that song Jam on it, which everyone loves, yeah. and Jam on Revenge, um, the Wiki, the Wiki Wiki song. And roughly about the same time, uh, and this is pretty early for the artwork to um, 1983, and it's Time Zone Wild Style, and it's got it's pretty crazy Wild Style on there. <laughs> yeah, fuck yeah. The Def Jam you were talking about earlier, the very first time the Def Jam lo- logo, that insignia, T-Lo if you like. Rock. I got yeah. that 12. Yeah. yeah, so that that 12. The world is yours. Yeah, it's yours by Tila Rock and oh, Jazzy J. Yeah. It's Rick actually put out, on, it, it's it? put out on party time because Def Jam yeah. wasn't a record li- yeah, label right. at the time. Yeah. So it's just the Def, Def Jam imprint. Yeah, I'm too scared to take the records out. Yeah, I've got, <laughs> I've got this 12 at home. Yes. And, you know, I think um, what's the origins of Def Jam, like even oh, the first Def Jam release was LL's I Need a Beat or something like that. That was the first time. But, yeah, this was the um, 
I can't remember, but this year. Yeah. So if you look in, in the sleeve of some of these records, when we had the Just Two Deaf Hip Hop Show in 1988, um, We'd just take all of these records in, and some of these have got Biz's name in them still because I'm, you know, I must have took them home basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, <laughs> so these are the actual records. That's Two Live Crew. Um, Two Live is what we are. Yeah. You know, it's got Luke Skywalker written on his, yeah. you know, Nissan Patrol or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, Eric B's paid in full. The one that blew up around the world, as you know, is the Seven Minutes of Madness Cold Cut remix. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. the English remix. Yeah. <laughs> Sing it, this is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they didn't like it. I'm, I, what I hear is they didn't like that initially. Yeah. Or, you know, they just were, you know, didn't, weren't overly. What's it called? The seven, the seven Minutes of Funk Mix? Or yeah, Seven like? Minutes of Madness, Cold Cut Remix. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, and it might be things like it says on here, all cuts by Cold Cut you know, or Matt Black or whatever yeah. it is, you know, instead of. Um, well, I've got that's on the. Uh, I know it's on the B side of the move, the Crowd 12 as well, because I've got it at home. I love that fucking remix, man. And I think um, I'm pretty sure Ego Trip's Big Book of Rap list listed that as the number one hip hop remix of all time back in, you know, 2001 or whenever that dropped. Well, know? put it this way you know, your kids watching Singstar and Sing Along? That's, yeah. that's on Singstar, that song. No yeah. shit. You is know, it so, really? Yeah, so that's getting up there. Fuck. Just like It's Tricky by um, Run DMC. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Oh, dude, my Uzi weighs a ton. I know That's you're going to get yours. Fuck this yeah. one. Far. I thought that was my Uzi weighs a ton. That might have the biz inside it. Thanks, Brian. Cheers. What did you think when you first heard Public Enemy? When you first heard, like, yeah, what did, what did you hear first by Public Enemy? Public Enemy number one. That. That a 1987 record in your hand. Yeah. That was probably it, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. And it's got that... Um, the, the horns from the grunt, which yeah. is a, um, a JB's James Brown thing, okay, yeah, which yeah. is that kettle kind of sounding squeal, yeah. right, just going yeah. over and over. On top of, I think it's Funky Drummer, which is also JB's. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's just done in, it's just a wall of kind of noise that's so controlled. And <sighs> me being into the sound of things, to get that much noise not sounding like, oh, oh shit, I want to turn it down. Course, I just want to turn pause. it up. It's just perfectly yeah. produced, that stuff. Yeah. The greatest B-side of all time, Rebel Without a Pause, man. Fucking hell, incredible. Yeah, I, dude, I'm like the first time I ever heard Public Enemy and it's only now as an adult I can sort of, you know, sit there and, I don't know, articulate it in some way. But just the cacophony of noise, that Bomb Squad production, yeah. Chuck D's voice, like – there's no way you could not be drawn to it, you know? Like, But then if you think hip-hop at the time was about moving the crowd, it was about getting girls shaking their ass, it was party music and yeah. shit like that, they came from a whole nother angle, you know? They were political, they were fucking militant, they were, you know, like it was, the, it was image beyond just the sound and the music and there was such an urgency in what they did, you know? Like you heard it and, like, man, mm. I was like fucking 10 going to, trying to find out who Farrakhan and all these people yeah. were, you know? Like, oh, it's educational stuff. Oh, when it, when it's and so you were like you were, were you breaking these records here in this country for what it's worth? Like um, you... I'll I'll give mad props to Brian there. He would because he worked at Queensland Rail in the city mm. that year, um, the end of eighty seven and and eighty eight. Mm. He would go to Rocking Horse every day, yeah. and just see what's in. Yeah. Did you save this for me? Did you save that for me? Especially when when we had the radio show. Yeah. Um, Warwick down at Rocking Horse, he he knew that this is going to get some more people, and if they even mention the name of the store once, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So um. We weren't given records, but we would just buy them and have this, you know, know that something yeah. new's coming this week, there's a shipment, whatever. Yeah. Um, their Skinny's records were great. Skinny's, Skinny's were, um, yeah. also had a lot more of the um, heavy metal and, exactly. and rock. And, and yeah. punk and all that sort of shit. And then yeah. Kent records. A lot of this, um, yeah. the celluloid kind of stuff with, um, you know, Phase 2. Um, Where was B-side. Kent records? 
Ken Records. It was downstairs off Elizabeth Street, but up the end, I think. Because my copy, I've, I've got a copy of um, It Takes a Nation of Millions. Yeah. Uh, it's an original pressing and um, it's signed by Flavor Flav to Kent Records. An older oh, cousin's wow. next door neighbour had it and I got it off him because I was a massive public enemy fan. He goes, oh, here you have this. It's signed by Flavor Flav. Yeah. And it's signed by Flavor Flav in 1990 and says to Kent Records. And he won it as a prize or some such thing. And I've had that fucking, I've had that since I was probably 11 or something, yeah. you know, like. So Flavor Flav are out, um, public enemy and Flav. But Flav, I always wondered yeah. where Kent Records was. It was I was yeah, like, where I the think fuck was Kent it's Records? Adelaide Street, just up from, a, I don't know, probably let's say, 200 Adelaide Street or 300 yeah, or something yeah, like that. Yeah. And it was downstairs. You walk down a little stairway and they had a checkered floor, perfect ah, for breaking and that. Yeah. I can't remember ever seeing breaking there, but I'm sure someone must have yeah. organised something there. Um, I think Sound Unlimited Posse um, or Renegades, uh, the group from Oh, Renegade City, Funk Train. Re, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They had a hit out around about 1990 um, yep. or a single out, let's say, and Public Enemy – um, had them as their support for that tour. Ah. And I think that's probably why that happened. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. That signing yeah, yeah. is talking about. Yeah, yeah. Oh, dude, like, fuck, man. Let's get on to... Yeah, oh, just that record there. Oh, um, Scott LaRock and KRS-One. Yeah. Um, Memories of Manny's Music or something B-Boy called. Records. Yes, it's probably an English pressing. But I bought that at um, Garden City when I was going to school. So it's probably an 87 record I'm imagining. Sunflower Music? Yeah. Oh, dude. Yeah. That was the spot on the south side, eh? Well, Sunflower Music. Like even when I was a teenager, you going to Sunflower Records or Sunflower Music, whatever the fuck it was called, at Garden City. Mm. And that, like, they used to photo, they used to photocopy all their cassette covers because cunts would go in there and pinch all the cassette oh, covers really? and shit like yeah. that. They had walls of hip hop, man. Like it was a dope spot inside Garden City. Like it was fucking unreal. Fuck, incredible. I feel like we need the, gloves and tweezers. Yeah, dude, like your shit's, man, like <laughs> Jeff's records, dude, they're just, they're impressively fucking Some of them kept beat them well. inside, they're a bit beat up. But um, I think Park Bench Royals, which mm. were uh, Australian, very, you know, one of the earliest yep. hip-hop releases with I Hate I Energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that, I got that 12-inch from that Sunflower Records yeah, back in okay. the day. You know, it's no weird shit. that they would they stock something like that, but I'm glad that whoever did the distribution for that got I it got, out there. Um, I got I Wish My Brother George was here, Dell's first album from there. I got a few other things. I got House of Pain's second album, whatever that was called. The one with, when it's time to rock a funky joint, I'm on point. But, you know, I'm generationally removed. Like, this is, you know, so when does fucking... Like with the hip hop show, it ran for how long? A yep. year? Yeah, the hip hop show with me and Biz called Just Too Deaf ran for one year exactly. Yeah, um, which was a lot of fun. Like we were, we would bring most of the guys from the skate ramp. Yeah, they would just turn up with their bourbon and rum and coke and that, and you're not allowed to have it in the studio. Yeah, but you yeah. know they'd be out the front and skating around the bloody university there at St Lucia because that's it back, was that's St Lucia. Yeah, days. yeah, of course. yeah. So that was the yeah. last year was at St Lucia because um, the. The, the student union, I think it was, yeah. the head there, um, uh, not Victoria Bishop, uh, someone like named similar to that. Yeah. She um, organised, it might not have been her, but anyway, it was organised that there would be a raid for the last person on the shift that it turned out to be on the 14th of December 1988. Yeah. Okay, um, which ends up being, you know, the graveyard shift in the morning. So it's the 15th of December um, 1988 that uh, they were told to get get off the air. So the guy actually did walk out of the studio um, because um, the, the, might have been police presence told him to, uh, you know, you're illegally occupying yeah, yeah. this space yeah. because they didn't pay their $2, I think it was, per month rent. <laughs> you know, so it was just ridiculous, the whole thing. But um, to the Triple Z, um, to their credit, 
to get the people involved and the engineer, if you like, or the person yeah. that kind of knows how how the place runs. Yeah. So as soon as they found out that they've been kicked off air, basically, they drove up to Mount Cutha, disconnected the microwave transmitter that gets the signal from here to the big transmitter up on Mount Cutha. Fuck. Right? Yeah. And actually plugged in there, right there at the base of it, and started broadcasting Triple Z from there. <laughs> You're joking. No. Fucking gorilla shit. Like, it's just went a, up there and just fucking yeah. did it. It's amazing. Fuck. and um, You can do that. I mean, yeah, it's 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 amazing to think that you could do that at a point in time. Like, yeah, so, fuck. you know, that's when the call came out to all the subscribers and that supporters come yeah. down, whatever. So um, they were allowed, I think, you know, to get back on air and then finish up and then move off the campus to, I think, opposite where ABC Studios were at Tawong. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. Which is where, okay, just, just to keep the history going here. So Brian and I um, finished up with that at 4 Triple Z Just Two Deaf show. Um it coincided with us basically getting kicked off air anyway. Yeah. Um, what happened was a lady from Logan was looking for the new Logan radio station. Mm. I don't think it's 101 FM, but it was something like Bay FM around that on the dial. Yeah. Because she listens to that um, and records it. And it just happened to be this night is when we were playing F the Police or something. Oh, you're joking. And she yeah. was on the wrong station recording it. <laughs> and also, and, and I, and, Brian was in a happy mood. We've got the guys in there, whatever. So I think he said some expletives, yeah. you know, signing off on that song yeah. or might have been a Schooly D song or anything like that, you know, yeah, with, yeah. with the language in it. Um, so she didn't even send it in or complain to the radio station and we had no idea any of this was happening yeah. at the end of 88. Um, and she went to the Australian Broadcasting Tribunal yeah. and um, that's the first Triple Z heard of it and we're told all that, you know, you got to shut the show down completely. It's you can't have this kind of stuff on the air. Yeah. Um, there was some people from within, kind of the four triple Z audience normally anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That were you know kind of fringe. Um, oh, well, then they're, they're not actually. It's just it's more so that it was a bit bit of a sudden jump to go from an and a station which is. Um, all equal rights, you know, mm. no defamatory to women stuff, whatever. Mm. And then for the odd track that we play on, it's uh, just completely the opposite yeah, for yeah, two yeah, seconds. Yeah. I mean, you pulled out two yeah. live crew records and shit yeah, like that. So like, yeah, so that was from kind of from inside we are getting, you know, friendly oh, fire as well a bit. So Of course. They wanted us to censor all the show and if there was a censored version, play that or don't play the song at all. Yeah. And Brian wouldn't have that, no, as I okay. say, he's a bit unpersuasive. Yeah. Um, bit of... To and fro, coming to our meetings then because we've got to be talking about this and he, you know, basically to be sitting there getting hauled over the coals yeah. isn't what we wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. So um, we just packed it in and just let it go until over the new year and, well, tri- and that it, was it. We just never went back. Never went back. And Triple Z wasn't – you would have been volunteers at that point in time, hey? Oh, but absolutely. There was, I mean, there was paid journalists with Triple Z. There was – Yeah. You, know, oh, like, you wouldn't believe it. It is running on a shoestring bu- budget. It's unbelievable. Yeah, Like yeah, some yeah. of the technicians that are like 24-hour technicians because they're on call and that stuff yeah. um, aren't paid for be on call 24 hours or anything. They're oh, just, no, fuck no. They just know that that's their passion. They want to keep that going, so they'll just drop everything to yeah. keep it on the air or whatever technical trouble's going on. Yeah. Um, devote time on the weekend to rewire a whole new studio, new desk, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so Just Two Deaf Hip Hop Show 1988 has ended. In 1989, where music has advanced a lot by then, oh, like, you 100%. know, just the music we're talking about before that yeah. wasn't around yet and then all of a sudden yeah. it's... Yeah, then all of a sudden it is. Yeah, yeah. and um, you've got so much more media and marketing pushing it from different angles. Yeah. 
Um, even a mediocre track now will yep. just be in your face more than anything that's yeah. quality. So you, you really have to sift through it. Yeah. Um, were you gravitating towards the hip-hop? Were you still, you know, like having come from that electro, the breaks and all mm. that sort of thing, a, a more musical sort of upbringing and background, at that point were you still in – were you st- – did, I mean, what I'm saying is, were you, did you find NWAs and all that sort of shit, like the more shock rap that came out of the eight, you know, the late yeah. 80s into that, did you find that as endearing as you did mm. what was happening prior? Not for me. Mm. Brian did because of the aggressiveness of it. Exactly. You know, which, you know, nature. a lot of the music uh, initially why I got into it, it was just facts from the street kind of thing yeah. in rhythm and rhyme over beats that are infectious as, you know, you can backspin the same thing over and over and no one even cares. Yeah. So um, I just love all that anyway. That was kind of honest from people that uh, know what they're talking about with so much conviction. You can get a 15-year-old MC from New York in 1983 yeah. and you just take it as gospel Yeah. and it's not like, oh, he's not a real MC or anything. It's it's just every every time mm. it was just gold back then. Mm. Anyway, yeah, fast forward to 1989 um, and, yeah, times have changed so much that there was a – more of a what's-in-the-news political kind of show on 4ZZZ mm. that a lovely lady named Anne and her friend Peter would do and they would always do their announcements either over or in between hip-hop tracks yeah, okay. or, or kind of alternate rock punk tracks, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they would – eventually they asked Catch to come in to do more of the hip-hop selecting. Yeah. You know, or play some of your tracks and we'll just look after the news bulletins yeah. and you do the music. Yeah. And in the end, once that went on for a while, they said, "Catch, you, it's your shot. Yeah, you, you have the time slot now." Yeah. Or so, you know, pretty much that's what happened. And Catch had the radio show, so it was kind of up and running still again. Yes, yeah. You know, yeah, people yeah. that wanted an, an hour, two hours worth of hip hop, whatever, got yeah. it. Yeah. Did you listen to the Catch episode when we had Catch on? Oh yeah, I love it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where does your relationship sort of kick off with Catch? Because obviously, um, you were both. I mean, you two sort of made up. One half of the resin dogs at a point, you know. Yeah, like. he um, he was one of those people that I was talking about standing around the boombox yeah. behind McDonald's in 1984 or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, and at Sybil's nightclub mm. when that was an all ages thing. Yeah. And we just knew him from being around, and he would get on the same train to go to the the West End line, you know, yeah. get off there. Yeah. Um. So that friendship sort of yeah, dates we back just to we that. just knew each other, and and record bumping shoulders as you're digging through stuff at exactly. Rocking Horse, you know yeah, the, yeah. you know, no, I don't think. We did know each other at, at some point because I remember talking about records that Peter Freckman might have had and you'd, you'd discuss stuff. Yeah. Um, but it was the the real um, graffiti kind of connection apart from the breaking because that was just kind of, of course, people yeah. that are interested, it was just common like, yeah. okay, you break, you know. When yeah. we get together, we'll just, um, you know, give it a red hot go and uh, when we did. And fashion as well, by the way, we haven't even touched on that. I didn't give a shit about it, which is weird. I, all my, <laughs> any photos of me just say daddy. But um, – <laughs> but it was around then, you know, yeah, like yeah, yeah. people started wearing the, the big shirts and the high-cut um, Nikes yep, and that kind of, of stuff. We're painting the wall at Altandi, me, Hams, um, Tez, Lev, Colin maybe it was again, um, and we just hear this voice going, hey, from underneath the tunnel where Tez did the Tez piece, yeah. you know, a year ago or whatever it was, yeah. at Altandi, and out of the shadows comes these two kids that just got off the train um, and they were no, no, just making a noise like, you know, you're getting busted kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I thought, here we go. And you look over, it's just these two guys just walking up, you know, backpacks or whatever. Yeah. And um, so Kiwi and Catch, we just talked to them Shit. about Graf and we, they just picked up some cans or we had a space there. Yeah. Because Catch um, 
I'm not sure if he helped Kiwi, but Kiwi did a character and a spray paint can, Fun. and it looked awesome. Yeah. And it was just out of stuff that was around and not planned or anything. Just scraps that were sitting yeah, there. Yeah, it looked yeah. really good, and that was in yeah. between two other pieces. Uh, so that's about 80, end of 85. And, and then Kiwi we just, went yeah. on to write nicer ACR. Yeah. That's what she, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, there's a few other things in between all that. But, um, and because uh, just the hams and artwork and just everyone on the beeline at any point in time, if we just met each other, it wouldn't take long for you to organize that gathering and you, yeah, you just yeah, yeah. get together. Yeah. Um, and course, just from there's that. There's so few yeah. obvious, you know, like. And to bring that back um, to the resin dog thing, throughout the years, Catch and I have always, like, at some point, you know, talked about music to the point where the guys that um, owned the GT importing for Australia, the very first ones that lived across the road from us, they moved to Wind Street and Scott Eddington and my brother built that massive half pipe. Mm. Um, that became a known thing, like, throughout Brisbane that yeah. that was happening. Yeah, know, and these sponsored riders are there and so on. It was getting pretty big in, into the freestyle stuff. Um, in 1988, while we were doing the hip-hop show, Catch, Peter Freckman, um, B-Boy Busk, the B-Boy All-Stars, all of the guys, um, Bill and Jamie, uh, I'm pretty sure all of them, they were, as Catch said, busking out the front. Then they thought they were going to get told to move on, but they were told to come in and be part That's of right. the Expo yeah. 88 festivities yeah, for the yeah. year. Yeah. So, um that celebration for them sort of occupied their 88 yeah. while me and Brian were doing this other thing in 88. Yeah, yeah, with the radio show. Yeah, yeah. So and that just kind of went on. Then Catch had the hip-hop show. So yeah. in 1989, Catch comes over to my house once I re once we realise that he's got a show. Yeah. Um, and I had a four-track recorder and I was already like triggering sounds with a another drum machine that had a MIDI out. So that yeah. triggers the sampler that I had, the S900. Yeah. Um, and I remember looping up um, – well, what was it? It was probably 89. Yeah, it must have been the end of 89. We had all the Blackbirds albums and a bit of um, Isaac Hayes and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And Catch got on the mic and we made an ad. We made an ad, a spot, the first yeah. spot for the hip-hop show. Yeah. And that was yeah, Catch's yeah. hip-hop show. Yeah. And on a four-track downstairs at my mum's place in So that was 89. your first production? Um, oh, uh, no, because we've already done Expo 88 then. Uh, sorry, uh, the hip-hop show um, was 88. So was the School of Audio Engineering. So oh, okay. I started studying at the School of Audio Engineering and met yeah. a guy named Keshro. Okay, yeah. Who met us actually at that Def Jam. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. You know, to meet Keshro, you'd think he'd be into just like the like the Euro disco dance stuff, which he was very good at DJing for many years, but he just loved hip-hop, scratching, he could cut, he entered the DMC, all that stuff. Okay. So me and Keshro have been best friends ever since. He's got a really good recording studio, by the way, called K-Raster Studios. Yeah which is um, up on the north side. So if you want you know, good music production with all the right gear, um, heaps of patience and definitely knowledge knows what you're talking about. It's yeah. not like walking to a rock studio. Yeah, um, yeah. You can do that as well. He's got sound rooms. But, um, yeah, so K-Raster Studios. Kesha and I did the hip-hop show. He was the one that had the S900 first. Yeah. Then I got an S900. Then Catch got an S950, uh. um, which is probably a bit later than that. But he got his a bit later. Yeah. But, um, and... So because of that year of having access to a studio while you're learning in 88, it was more for recording like rock bands and getting to know the studio and using the tape and that. Yeah. Um, a lot of that stuff just through the want and need, I'd kind of worked out a lot of mixing desks and recording and doing mega mixes at home. Yeah. Um, just to do that on many times over and multi kind of levels yeah, is just yeah, yeah. the advantage of having a, I think it was 16 track, 24 um, channel mixing desk, 16 track Fuck, tape. What, you have one at home? No, that was at the School of Audio. Uh, yeah, yeah. And um, 
so the start of the very next year, we were looping loops off, you know, the series Ultimate Breaks and Beats. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Ultimate Beats and Breaks, yeah. whatever people want to call it. Yeah, yeah. We were getting stuff off that, stuff off other records. Kestra was ahead of me already by going into record exchange and getting 50 cent records out of, mm. you know, anything that looks like James Brown, Isaac Hayes. Um, well, i got a record in there actually, um, a group called Grand Funk. Mm. It's kind mm. of a rock band. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, white rock band like, um, like Led Zeppelin or Deep Purple or, or anything like that, <laughs> yeah. but they're, I think they're American. Yeah. Um, we would get those drum loops before we had the sampler, mm. right? So... Um, we would get the tape on a two-track tape machine, run it down the hallway at the, you know, 15 inches per second, I think it was, which mm. is the faster speed. Yeah. See, instead of re- um, looping back onto the other take-up spool, you take it down the hallway down to a microphone stand. Fuck. So the tape loops around that where you've spliced it and, that, and hopefully this is a snare that makes it normal yeah. or whatever where you've spliced it. Um, and we just splice tape, makes our, our loops that way um and then put that to tape and as a recorded track of a drum loop shit yeah yeah fuck uh, and then drop in records or drop in kind of um other sections of tape that would last long enough in time yeah generally, generally off the record was easiest i've got um some recordings at home which i just went through the other night actually because i knew the show was coming up yeah. and it's um dj angus cutting um to um traffic you know traffic justin no um, no. He ended up being. Um, oh, tra- oh, sorry, the writer. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. Justin, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah. Justin. I think you're talking about a record. I'm like, yeah, no, I haven't heard of it. <laughs> Justin's emceeing. Yeah, he lives in the UK now. Yeah, so, over a beat that is the tape loop that we got going down the hallway. Yeah, um, yeah. There's about three of these kind of um, recordings we did, and Angus is just cutting like crazy. It's just amazing. Yeah. Um, one of them, um, I've got marked there that it's Waxmaster Wayne doing the cuts, and it is different cuts. Yeah. Um, kind of could be, but I just can't place him there at that time in start of '89. Yeah. Um, and Catch was in the studio for one of them. You may have heard of the Brisbane film clip, which has got Catch and all the guys in the Brisbane crew. Oh, what, that thing that Hams did? Yeah, well, and um, Hams is in the film clip. Yeah. But it's actually a film clip for a college um, study that um, some art yeah. or visual students were doing. We talk, we, I think we spoke yeah. about it on the Catch episode. Yeah, because when, yeah, I remember I just happened upon it on YouTube and I was I like, think, what the fuck yeah, is Yeah, one this? of Bill and Jamie's right. um, girlfriends or mm. someone that was studying the art kind of film stuff yeah, yeah. needed to do a film clip and have certain types of elements in it. Yeah. That's why in and the they're Brisbane, like, yeah. They're like going the, to Rocking Horse and all yeah. that sort of shit. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, yeah, yeah there's a bit of outdoor footage, indoor footage. There's yep. um, some model poses, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And um, I think there's even like Melbourne panels in there. There's like a new what? two panel and all that kind <laughs> I didn't of shit. Even like, pick that up. Yeah, she just shows it up a zillion in there. times. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's a section in that that you can see our studio. Well, I call it our studio. Me and Kesho had the studio time booked for Bribe to come in, which is Angus, yeah. and do his incredible scratching over the top of JJ Fad, oh, which wow. is that kind of electro chick group. Yeah, yeah. Um, Supersonic was, yeah, a, Supersonic, was a track. Yeah. yeah. Of so that music is to the film clip. And yeah. the scratching was recorded at the School of Audio Engineering. Ah, yeah. shit. So I don't think I'm in the film clip, but neither is um, Kestro, and he did most of the engineering on the night. Yeah, yeah. Um, is, this, is this like where your production sort of begins? Is this where you begin with production? Yeah. Because yeah, um, yeah. I mean, you're making tapes in yeah, probably 84. Yeah, yeah. I, know, going I back. know where you're getting at. Like, um, like definitely separating the elements you're getting in and getting – you know, the right person in to do the cuts, you know, yeah, rather than yeah, me because yeah. I've got a recording I found that is a school of, a school yeah. of audio engineering where I've pieced something together that's similar to a cold cut Yeah, kind of, you know, probably like um, bomb the bass kind of, mm. you know, just mash up any break and any kind of classic sound that you know of. Yeah. 
and it seemed seemed to work. And then I'm dropping stuff in. I'm I'm cutting it in myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which works and it's fine. But it's a world away from what ended up happening, um, where I I start leaving that to um, dropping in easy bits myself. But when there's cutting involved, yeah, um, DJ Fib, yeah, we yeah, entered our yeah. DMC together. Wow. Um, that was uh, probably 1990 or something like that, or 92, or I can't remember. Yeah. And then throughout that period, out of all the stuff that I'd looped up with, did you you went to the DMC competition? Did you? Yeah, there was. So a, you were going hard as like a scratch DJ, or no? I, no? In those, oh, there's two. There, well, there was one competition where I wasn't in it, yeah. but they used to have a guy called a feeder. Which if the guy's got a, a rapid fire kind of set where the records have got to keep coming and he's swapping he records, and it, yeah. yeah. So I, yeah. I've helped him get the set together. Um, in order rather, and you just make yeah. sure that, that there's no stuff up there. That was with Kesho and I think maybe one with Fib. Yeah. But um, then they changed the rules because of the way music was going and the tricks were just getting out, outrageous on the DMCs. Oh, for real? People putting blue tack on the end of a fin on a surfboard and doing scratching and that kind of yeah, thing or with a drill. Great. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> they said you're allowed to bring samplers in yeah. and have other audio that sort of helps you mix, you know, help things get that, um, yeah, the attention's band you know yeah, keep yeah. everyone interested in yeah, the hype yeah. that you want to create because a lot of remember a lot of the mega mixes and dmc um records that would come out from the record pool kind of labels that would mm. have pre-mix djs only mixes yeah they would always have these token mega mix kind of samples like get on it i'll oh, get on it's actually a good one oh, that's one of my favorites but um <laughs> but like a lot of them are sort of off um the r&b kind of club records yeah. but they'd use them in hip-hop records to yeah. try and mesh the two together for you yeah know, the club mix yeah yeah of course like. of course yeah yeah, yeah. Those kind of sounds is what they wanted to hear in a DMC as well, yeah. I think. So that's why they let your sampler be there. So I was there with the sampler. I don't think we had three turntables. It wasn't like me and Brian where you could have like two beats and a two beats yeah. mixing yeah. and the DJ doing stuff and that. It was more a sampler and two rec two decks. That was um me and Fib entered at together as that. Yeah. Was the year that when it was our set, the whole place just hummed like crazy. There was an earth loop. Oh, and shit. it wasn't the turntables because we ended up turning it all off and everything, and it yeah. still kept going. Um, mm, so they had a technical issue, fucking, yeah. and that was like <laughs> half an hour of just nightmare. Shit, it just started the set, and then they said that we we're going to have to postpone the competition, and then it never happened again or something. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah but we yeah. never went back and performed. I know that. Yeah, you and yeah. Fib. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Was he a scratch DJ? Oh yeah. He well, he grew up going to school with Angus. Ah, okay, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they were yeah. at Turinga, and um, you know, pushing each other, you know, to find live. They were kind of very. No, I don't know if you call it ambidextrous, but they're very capable of cutting, you know, left yeah. hand, right hand, doesn't matter. Yeah. So, I mean, um, I can't say I really know DJ Fib, but I've followed him on Instagram forever and I know he's got his own sort of uh, radio show. And what, what's his radio show? The, the sort of online thing that he's doing, the podcast oh, type thing? there's a couple. There's With uh, Toby, Toby G? Yeah, um, yeah. There's Play That Beat with Toby play G. Play That Beat, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. Play That Beat. Just definitely just shout it out, give them their props and, you know. Yeah, tune in to Play That Beat. Um, <laughs> if you miss it, just look out for the – Podcast ads that are on Instagram yeah, or go Facebook find him at Lee Hardwick. Yeah. Yep, Lee Hardwick yeah. on Instagram. Play that beat, type that in, and also DJ Toby G's kind of all yeah. spelt out. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're doing a great job. They do back announcing. They get local Brisbane guests in, which is incredible. And they all say any local music they'll play on it as well from anywhere around Australia. How but are it, they doing it monthly or fortnightly? Yeah, because or it's a it's a podcast radio show yeah. or it's a radio show online rather that particular one that's right it is that's too, part online. of a uh, uh, urban radio show ah. so they've got a time slot in it where they do their oh is that what it their is music oh, yeah. for real yeah. okay what's so, the platform like what are they you don't know it's just urban music it's any anything that you know dance music as far hip-hop um what no but who's hosting their show 
Ah, I don't know. Don't just know. just yeah. look it up. Um, I can't think of it right now. No, that's all good. I mean, we've got yeah. to keep moving anyway. But like, so you're you by the early nineties now. Like, let's sort of sort of jump forward or whatever. The hepatitis tapes. Yeah, we're getting there. You know, we're <laughs> we're getting there. <laughs> well, dude, your production and shit like. You are so in depth with the records, like it's it's fucking insane. But how do we get to that point in like the early stages of the Resin Dogs? You know, I think you formed the Resin Dogs what around 95, 96, something like that. Um, there's a, a photo that I'll I've sent you that we'll put up online. Oh, don't even have to say this. Mm. By the time you're hearing this, yeah, <laughs> my good good man Jake would have put up a picture, and it's um it happened to be a photograph because I took the camera in as well on the night. Um, I think Rowena took the photo though. Um, four triple Z. Frenzy had a show called What It Is, and he had another show called Soul something or other. Um, but it, one of those shows that Frenzy had on 4 Z every two weeks yeah. um, was, I think, the night after the hip-hop show or the night before the hip-hop show Okay. that yeah. Catch had, uh, yeah. the Fat Tape, yeah, which course. probably was Complex, Shawnee B, and Catch at that point. What what years are we talking about? When um, I first discovered Fat Tape, it was Catch yeah, and Frenzy. So we're, so, we're yeah. talking about here, we're just sort of getting a bit of background how the Resin Dog started yeah, yeah, yeah. As, yeah. as a band. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it definitely didn't start as people just walking up to each other and say, hey, let's start a band. No, Nothing like that happened. Mm. Um, we're all just very busy, active, like, you know, try and stop any of us mm. doing music. We just, we're compelled to just make music yeah. in our own different ways in different directions. Did you know Dave? No. No. But I had met him in a, a record shop that used to be in West End called Arc Records. Okay. Yeah. Catch was touring with Regurgitator. Wow, yeah. As the scratch. DJ, if you like, because in the yeah. Kung Fu Sing album by Regurgitator in 1980. Two Plang was the Yeah, Two Plang, that's it. Kung yeah. Fu Sing was the song. Yeah. yeah, so 1995 that comes out. Yeah, that's right. Does really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, It's got catch scratching in it. It does, yeah. So um, that right there is where, if you like, my old school friend from the 80s hip-hop world mm. um, just meets, big... meets the rock world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? So Brisbane. And that was a platinum album. Like, yeah, yeah, and um, like the like. To put it in context, the Brisbane music scene, the way I see it compared to, let's say, Sydney or Melbourne, is a bit less, you know, cutthroat. It's a bit more incestuous up here. Yes. Yeah, Once I got to know those rock guys a bit later on, like everyone knew everybody and they've all played in, played in each other's bands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll yeah. help out, help out coming to the studio. Oh, I haven't got a drummer. I'll be your drummer. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, whereas, well, I mean, Dave, you had Dave Atkins in the Resin Dogs and Dave Atkins seemed to be like a conduit between that many different bands yeah. here in Brisbane. Oh, absolutely. Like, fucking, yeah, so many. Yeah, and he's in, and he just does things, and he's um, yeah, we're very blessed to have him in the band because musically he's very talented anyway. Mm. Like in many areas, he can hear, um, like getting a horn section together. You know, yeah, yeah. you would talk to the guy that's doing the horns yeah. if we've got a three section about this one needs to be that and that, or it would yeah. better be here, and he'll hit a keyboard or a, yeah. a note on a string. Yeah. What do you reckon down here or up here? Yeah, you know that that helps things flow along a lot better having that kind of knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. Mind you, you know, sampling. Um, even though at the start when we were playing at Ricks and whatnot, mm. it was predominantly just my loops, catch scratching over it and, and it. Dave Drummond and we get a bass player to kind of learn where it's travelling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, it was yeah. a bit to and fro with bass players at the start. Yeah. Um, we had Andrew G, which you – not Andrew Garvey, which is catch. No, the other Andrew, Andrew G. G. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Andrew yeah. Gunsberg, which we know is Osher. <laughs> Osher Ginsberg, yeah. Yeah, and he's, he's, <laughs> he did, used to do um, Channel V um, yeah. and he used to yeah. do Australian Idol. yeah. Um, the Bachelor. Yeah, The Bachelor. Yeah, yeah. When we knew him then, like um, I'm pretty sure when he used to come around to my place and we'd practice, yeah. he'd drive around this old beat-up 
Tarana Sunbird, yeah. like with rust holes in the floor. You know, it was it was. I remember seeing him at Rick's Cafe, hair down in his yeah, ass, yeah. man. Like, oh, yeah, he was yeah, a ride. He was great. And I'm pretty sure it was like a resin dogs type thing. It might have been might have been two dogs or yeah. something. But yeah, yeah. Like some of the shows, he'd be playing his bass and he'd have um like black fingernails and chicken slippers on. Or yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And his yeah. long hair. Um, and at some point there, we also had Ben Eli from Regurgitator right, yeah. at um. It's called Win Lane, I think now. You know, behind. Um, where Butterbeats was and oh, behind course. the zoo, Wind yeah, Lane. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. kind of a spot now. It's a thing. But, yeah. but before it was just like a, an industrial bin that stank yeah. like an old alleyway. <laughs> yeah. And um, now, um, anyway, there was a place there called Seccom, a place called Seccom Space, and it was kind of an art gallery. Uh, I'm not sure what the hangout was there, but it was an up-and-coming place. Yeah. And there was a gig put on there um, by Resin Dogs because we were – Going into state or something. Yeah. Bye bye Bruce Vegas. Or so. I can't remember exactly how it went. But that's the one that Ben Eli played at. Ah. And also um, Ben Elliott, um, rest in peace. I don't know if you know Ben Elliott. He used no. to, um, or he designed some of the record cover um, artwork and the printing, like the final design work of the Two Blunted, the Resin Dogs Presents Two Blunted. Oh, true. Okay. Um, yep. Which is um, helped along by the Resin Dogs. That's why it's yeah. a Resin Dogs yeah. presented album, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's um, it was kind of definitely a good showcase of how we shape stuff together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, out of yeah. out of a basic idea, then you get some band sounds in there. Yeah, and it just comes to life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and there's a, a Dave and Catch remix of a, a previous blunted song that was on the Hepatitis album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Hepatitis ignited or something, and it's just yeah, um, it's just out there. And then uh, another remix, which is a full on live version of that, which is I'm pretty fond of because it. For like a band interpretation of a song that I just did with samples, yeah, um, and Fib's ideas as well on that song, the first song, Hepatitis, on the Hepatitis album, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, because it's quite an out there song, um, which is probably why people think I'm a smoker, you know, Jeff, <laughs> Jeff Blunted, yeah, and yeah, the Hepatitis album, whatever, yeah, of course. Um, a lot of people I was around then were, which I had no problem with. You never smoked weed, no, no, uh, well, no, not like a regular or anything, no. You know, no, no, no. What happened was if I smoked weed, I'd end up drinking like a fish. Yeah, know? yeah, For yeah. some reason, that, I'd just always gravitate to that and then yeah. I'd be out for the night. Yeah. But so, I mean, back to the resin dogs. Like with the resin dogs, <clears throat> you know, we're probably missing bits and pieces, but we'll get there. Like the resin oh. dogs to me in its early days or, you know, in, in its infancy always seemed like your – kind of like it was almost like your brains, your brakes, catch scratching, Dave with kind of the yeah. – driving the rhythm – and the bass. I understand know, like, why you would why you probably would think that. And, and just explaining what happened at the very start there, while that sort of rock meets hip hop world with through DJ Catch. Yeah. Um, I went over to I think Shawnee B was living at Catch's house. Yeah. At maybe Stafford in yeah. the unit. Um, and Dave was there that night. Maybe Dave was living there, I don't know. Mm. But um the three of them were there and I'm swapping records with Sean. Mm. Um, talking about, you know, ring up John Item in Sydney. John yeah. Item's got maddest records. Yeah. Um, so that's when I started to really um hammer the collecting records and looking just outside what's at my fingertips here. Yeah. Or what you can do through the post. Yeah. Um and Dave and Catch had just finished the tour, I think, with Regurgitator, doing what I just said before. And they were listening to the Hepatitis tape in the tour van over uh, and over on high rotation. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this meeting at the house was only the second time I've met Dave. Yeah. And Dave's like, um, that stuff you do, you know, it, it, you know, I can't remember the exact words, but it travels along nicely, like him being a musician and yeah, then yeah. listening to it over and over. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I said I don't play a musical instrument or anything. I just, I just like the sounds of all the records I've heard over the years yeah. whatnot. He, he's like, you've got to play this stuff out. This is great, whatever. And I'm like... 
I'm okay kind of just making it in my room and then yeah. selling it at Rocking Horse and all the other stores around town. Yeah. There was some um, sent to some of the magazines that reviewed it. Um, Hepatitis got reviewed in Blitzkrieg and um, yeah. one of the Down South mags and Hype magazine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and Catch was really good in a lot of ways as well for the scene. In He would get on Briz 31 and mention anything that's coming up by um, local artists. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and there was another, maybe not a TV show, but people would make videos of um, – like what's happening in the graffiti scene and stuff, yeah. you know, like there'd be 183 Definitely. videos and other kind yep. of videos from people. Yeah. And they'd interview people at the end or just have them do a recommendation and a talk and catch it be that person sometimes. Yeah. And he would always mention, you know, um, Jeff Blunard's or Jigsaw Jeff, I don't know what he would say back then. Yeah. He's done this tape, check it out, you know. Yeah. Do yourself I, do yourself a favour of what he'd be doing. It'd be like um, Molly Meldrum would do it on counter. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was fantastic yeah. to get the word out there. So out of that um, – I just went home and that was the end of that. We listened to some new tracks I was making. That's right. It would have been Scazetta was a new one I was making. Yeah. Um, and Disco, Come Get Some of This. We listened on a tape deck in the lounge room that night, me, Dave. I don't know if Sean was hanging around. He probably was. And that was that. And then sometime in the next week or two, Frenzy wasn't able to do his show, his dance music show. Yeah. Um, it's kind of, you know, hip-hop as well. And he said he must have rang up Catch and Catch rang me and said, Frenzy's just given me two hours to fill in. Do you want to come in and just bring your sampler and just press your loops and stuff yeah, and I'll scratch, yeah. scratch over them. Yeah. So I'm going in there with my sampler and, and my, um, I had a Juno 106 Roland keyboard, which wow. is quite collectible for the sounds yeah, it makes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I wasn't using any of those sounds. I was using it as a trigger. <laughs> I had, I'd memorised all these songs and that because to build the song up, I would kind of do a manual sequence of thing and try out a lot. Yeah. A and Bing things is a really good way to get the sound that you're after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just looking over at Insidious here and just um, it's definitely the way to go. You can't, you know, um, you tried and true, true proven paths, yeah, you can just go down that way and it'll, it'll chance that'll work out. But um, getting into the studio at 4ZZZ and bringing all that stuff in, um, and I'm not a performer as such, so I'm quite happy to be sitting down in a chair. So I've got a little chair to, you know, yeah. ready to sit down and everything. So I get in there and um, Dave's sitting in the corner with this little tiny drum kick drum kit and the kick drum had like a 10 inch kick drum Fuck. and he's just sitting there ready to go with one microphone and catcher's got the turntables there and i was like right and i've got all these just loops that they've got no idea what i'm going to play yeah. and i don't either because i'm not really in a performance mode but i've got them all structured yeah you know memory kind of banks and stuff so for two hours totally unrehearsed the three of us filled up the airwaves with what noise we made and Shit. it worked out fine Shit. It was just unreal, you know, just yeah. checking each other, looking over and stop yeah. and go and all yeah. that sort of stuff. So um, that was the first Resendog gig, even though the name Resendog wasn't no. even mentioned or banned or anything. What was that, Sunday night? Um, I think it was Thursday night, but it, okay. I don't know. We'll just go with yeah. Sunday night. Um, so I've got a recording of that and there's a photograph or two of us three sitting in that room in the really awkward oh, B studio. Sick. It doesn't look anything like Triple Z does now, yeah. even though it's the same Location. The same, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's the yeah, one yeah. that's up here on um, Brunswick Street yeah. or wherever it was. Or... Oh, St. Paul's Terrace. Yeah, that'll do. Yeah, yeah. that's it. <laughs> so um, after that and listening back to it or what, whatever happened, um, there was a New Year's Eve gig coming up at um, – or New Year's Eve was coming. Catch and Dave decided – I don't know if it was one of Catch's hydro-funk gigs that ended up being this other thing. Yeah. But um, it was called Mad Lifted Beat Junkies. Mad Lifted Beat Junkies, Happy New Year, um, 1996. Um, and Jigsaw Jeff or Blunted Stylus or something like that and Towering Inferno oh, was on the sticker. I'll have yeah. to get the sticker and send that through to you. But um, 
I had already been working with DJ Damage and Lazy Grey, Towering Inferno, yeah. on a track that ended up being Jigsaw's Journal because we got a phone, I got a phone call from MDS, um, Colin Daniels, in about 1995, yeah. just after the first Homebrews came out, yeah. um, roughly with those years, because he wanted to do a next one really quick. He wanted yeah. to do another Homebrews. Yeah. It turned out it didn't come out very quickly after that. It's like um, 1998, I think, yeah, it I think did it actually is, yeah, come yeah. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, we'd started recording that in 96, you know, so um, what was going to be on it was already ready to go in the sampler. So the first live performance of that, um, and because I worked at Canon, I had a Canon video camera, apart from the normal camera I'd take lots of photos with. Yeah. Um, so I brought that in to video the night and other guests that were there. We had Forbes on the mic, wow. B-Boy Busk on the mic and also doing his B-Boy thing. Yeah. It was a really good night. Um, and because I was new to performing, I brought all like a, a UV black light in, you yeah. know, so I just brought that in to make it look better. You do a bit of visuals. Yeah, yeah, I had yeah. this crazy green light that came from a really old-fashioned analog fax machine. Yeah. But it was really bright and green. <laughs> so that was behind the drum kit on one side and, and stuff. So Dave catching on. fucking stage show. Yeah, so, like yeah but even though it was so dodgy as, in yeah. the video, it kind of looks halfway there. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Um, enough dance floor to – it was up um, Prince Consort Hotel called Channel 31 was the night. Okay. And we and that gig was put on. Um, I remember Shawnee B, um, a lovely lady named Michelle, I think, was at the door because this is all in the video I can remember. And there's a part in the video where I grab the camera and walk out onto the b balcony and um, it's Lazy Grey sitting there and I think Lev's Beastie Boys T-shirt. Yeah. Um, hams and Damage. And they all just go, yo, and then go back inside. That's the kind of night it was, you know what Fuck. I mean? Um, and I got Sean to, when I'm not able to video, because I was actually triggering the buttons live, just like we talked about before, yeah. for the Lazy Grey DJ Damage first ever show. Yeah. And um, so Sean, Shawnee B knows how to use the camera and he videoed those bits. Shit. So um, I'm so glad he did, because looking back on it now, Damage's cuts are ridiculously yeah, good. Like exactly so how. Damage is good. Yeah. yeah he sort of know. phrases things like you would work out your words in a rap. Yeah. Like he, he knows where he's going to push. Yeah. Pull that record, yeah. fader up, down. How was damage? Do you see him? Yeah, yeah. He's okay. He's getting better, all that stuff. You know, wow, he um, kind of thinned out a bit. You know, he's um, studying a lot, you Is know. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So yeah. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. I went, went around to his house and um, lots of music he's writing too, studying. Wow. So, yeah. yeah, there's good things coming there, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so I'll get some of that footage up or photos or something. So that, anyway, so that was the but first gig. That was the, the first, first live dogs gig. gig. Yeah. And Towering Inferno. Still not mentioning the word Resin Dogs. Okay. It was like doing what we did in the radio station, yeah, which yeah. was kind of just uh, ad-libbing. Yeah. A bit more organised now that we know what samples kind of go together and stuff, plus yeah. a bit of a, another side thing, which was the Towering Inferno. Yeah. So me and Catch did those songs all together. And then after that, um, we got a gig, I think, down at Babylon. Yeah. And then uh, um, another gig at the zoo and mm. and then, no, Babylon and then Rick's Cafe it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Must have been something like that. Yeah. And by then we started using the name Resin Dogs. Yeah. Because for Regurgitator or might have been Kylie Gaffney or something, Catch and Dave actually used the name Resin Dogs to name a remix oh. when they were doing that um, Regurgitator kind of rock meets hip-hop yeah, world yeah, era. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah. did a remix and called it a a resin dog mix or the resin dog mix oh, or something like that. I think he told, is that the Miffy Simplicity remix or something, something like that? Yeah. 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 So that's the first time the that. two, like the word resin dogs is used yeah. by anyone. Yeah. And then as, as a naming of a band, it was used after those two gigs or three gigs. Yeah. Like sometimes we would name the, the gig we we're going to do in big letters, you know, hash puppies live. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah, know? yeah. 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 And there's one that says, um, uh, 
resin dogs, aka you no know, blunted stylus, aka resin dogs, and stuff like that. Yeah, like yeah. it wasn't really a focal point. Like yeah. the name, who cares? We've just got this music. It was a collective yeah. of yous that got together and just yeah. yeah made that music. How were you in that environment, being that you wanted to sort of sit down and play the background more so, yeah. like going in and the fucking I mean the resin dogs blew. You know, you guys really fucking hit it big throughout the late nineties and into the early two thousands. I mean, I know we're talking about the very early yeah. stages, the formative years of the resin dogs. You know, but you were there for a lot of the big shows and whatever. How did you go playing your role in that group? Uh, you enjoy it? Yeah. Well, I had I was very self-conscious and wonder what people think of me kind of stuff. Yeah. Mind you, drinking um, wasn't a big thing at the start of the Resin Dogs because I'd stopped drinking for two years. Okay. Which is funny enough, the exact, you know, those two years were the years I ended up getting hepatitis out. Yeah. And then the dog started. Yeah. So that says something, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're not being... Um, stifled by um because i always say motivation meets breeds motivation yes so if you've totally killed yourself with motivation you're not going to like be wanting to do much more yeah and when you're getting drunk and shit like that like how do you 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 can't you don't function at your full capacity you just don't like i mean there's no beers on the set today like because you're sober i just want to do that oh man plus i just yeah of course i know me in the shit and i wouldn't care (laughs) yeah i know i know you wouldn't give a fuck i saw (laughs) you uh, you know I, i remember we were at um you know, Lazy's old man's funeral at, yeah, the, yeah. at the pub. Like, yeah, you I went and had a coffee and I had a beer. Like, well, I, I work and do that, um, the DJ sets down at Wax On. Of course. And, and there's many DJ gigs you do, actually, yeah, yeah. and you paid in grog and stuff as well as the little amount of money they give yeah, you. Yeah. And I'm totally fine with that. They let you get the grog and you can give it to your mate, you know? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So two, two for this bloke and I'll, I'll yeah. have a Coke or whatever or give me yeah. a brew up the road, whatever, yeah. you, whatever your run is. Yeah, but you can't function at, like... At maximum capacity, if you're fucking constantly hungover, if you're constantly drunk, if you you just don't. That's 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 a fact. Yeah. Like I'm a drinker. Like you know, it's and well, I, I and I know the, I know yeah. what it does to me. Like I know I've spoken <laughs> to you about. Like you know, it's something that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's conversation for another day, but you know, it's. I get where you're going, but you saw yourself as being most productive at that point. Like you know, when you're yeah, off the when piece, I look clearly. back at it, that was a definite um, and that was all willpower. That wasn't me realizing understanding me mm. because I ended up, if I did understand me or understand, um, I don't know, self-awareness rather than um, in a different way, it's like. Um, Is it like a. Like if you want to go in there, like I'm not, I don't even want to go there really. But no, like no, 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 Spiritually no. healthy would be yeah, a way to call it even yeah. though that's not what yeah. I really want to bang on about. No, no, no. But understanding yourself at that level is like, okay, I am fine to be me and you don't have to drink to make that's you right. or others or any situation interesting. Exactly. Or for any excuse that you can justify picking up that drink. Mm. Um, and for people that it's okay that people do drink and they're okay drinkers, yeah, exactly. you know when there's a point when this is that one too many, I've got to work tomorrow, there's that point. Don't justify it. I'm not telling you don't, but like there's this point where that first thought was the right one, you shouldn't have it, mm-hmm. and then you self-justify it, oh, yeah, but I haven't seen old mate mm-hmm. for two years, let's buy a bottle of bourbon. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just stupidity. Yeah, it's that, it's that self-analysis. And I'm the same. I don't want to I don't want to harp on about the drinking or the sobriety or anything. I'm just trying to get into where you were creatively at a point, you know, yeah. particularly going into the resin dogs. And, you know, you just said you were sober for those two years leading in there. And driving around, like I used to work for a company that gave you a car and it had a, a banging um, tape deck and also a, an auxiliary input. So yeah. I would burn everything or tape every loop that I've ever made. Yeah. And let it go for a while, and I would listen to them all the time. That's why the loop in Grinnan is so infectious. Um, there's a, a song on Hepatitis, the first tape in 1995, that took a you know everything prior to that to make. You yeah. know, kind of. Um, well, probably about three years prior, um, going into the studio, recording it at Kesho's School of Audio Engineering, and heaps of input from Fib. Yeah. Um, 
all, all over it. But um, that that album, I wasn't going with that shit. No, with like uh, hepatitis and all that sort of shit. Was Fizzler on hepatitis? No, that's the next one. Yeah, see, oh, that's that's, uh, that's where the Resin Dogs have already started to play all the songs yeah. that I was getting ready to do the next yeah. Planet Styles album. Yeah, where the Resin Dogs started. Yeah, yeah so they yeah. became the live show. Yeah. As well as, um, like, Shawnee B had some tracks he's made. We'd bring, like, an Atari, I don't know if anyone's seen them, the old Commodore 64-looking things. Yeah. But they're an Atari 1064 ST yeah. computer. Yeah. With a big, um, you know, cathode ray kind of monitor, CRT, cathode, cathode ray tube. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they just look monstrous now when you see them in a video or a photo or something. Yeah. But that notator thing was how we used to track the events, not that didn't actually sample, it tracked events that would send out MIDI to then um, go to your sampler and be triggered in, you know, rhythm and rhyme with whatever you've written with yeah, a beat yeah, and, yeah. Uh, you know, what other sound, trumpets and shit. Yeah. So um, all, all those, uh, the other members of the group and collective that was around us, if they had anything going, there might be one or two nights that they would do that and they would be part of the show. Yeah. At the start, Shawnee B was a lot. Catch would start to bring in his sampler. Yeah. Then Dave... Dave was amazing even scratching in like in the month, two months, three months, whatever it was since when I knew him to um, um, when we were starting to perform as Resin Dogs. Catch, uh, Dave's scratching was amazing and because he's a drummer, the ambidextrous didn't matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, true, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I'll, I'll have to say this. You get um, – you give a room of people and Catch to bring his box of records mm. and Catch every time just knows how to rock a room. Yeah. He's just yeah. such a, a good DJ for the people and yeah. what's in front of him. Yeah. There's a reason yeah. he's been DJing yeah. for fucking Every time. 30 years. Like, yeah. you know, like, like I'd be support slot DJs with him for many Resin Dog gigs and other yeah. gigs, yeah. you know. And just experiencing all that, just, you know, yeah. I'd be fine to be the first DJ and let let that go. Yeah. Um, not that I, I didn't mind rocking the end of the night as well. Like that all works as well. But, um, yeah, he's really good at what he does. Yeah, fucking A. Um, yeah, so by the end of it and – once Chris started to be the bass player permanent, who used to be in Emporium, there was a band called Elevation in yeah, Brisbane. Yep. Um, Elevation and I think P. Euler, um, Ben Eli was involved in one of them. They were on the first record run, if you like, from Hydrofunk. Mm. Three vinyl records were pressed in England. Okay. Blunted Stylus 2, the Resin Dogs, the Resin Dogs Blunted Stylus album, yeah. was Hydrofunk 1. Yeah. Hydrofunk 2 was Blunted Stylus 1, yeah. which is Hepatitis. Yeah. Um, so the first one I just mentioned had Lazy Grey on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Hydrofunk's first and record is Fizzler. Yeah, yeah, okay. And then this other record, which had P. Euler on one side and Elevation on the other. Yeah. Chris Bosley is a bass player um, in, God, I think it's Elevation, yeah, oh, uh, and Emporium. And he, um, or definitely Emporium, and he um, started to write music as well with ah. sequencing and sampling. Yeah, yeah. So at the rehearsals, the Resin Dogs really started to have a big pool of sounds and yeah. directions to add to. Yeah. He's like, you know, I've got this hyped bloody ape shit, you know, bit that sounds like a chorus. Yeah. You know, where should we go with this? Should we just drop bits out and drop this back in and then such and such will bring up a loop that's just a good meandering bit to rap on or something. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah, it just yeah. gets made in the um, rehearsal room or if you've got time to go to a person's house and nut a song out. Yeah. Once everyone's sampling, that just was How was it working? How, how was that dynamic working, like, once it all came together? You know, because, as Catch said, later on, the Resin Dogs would become, like, fucking a near 30-piece, you know, depending on <laughs> depending on what, you know, what tour they were doing or whatever. Yeah. It could become a big thing. But in that early stage where it would be, you know, 
pretty much just the four years, the three of years really initially. Yeah. Then the introduction of the bass player or whatever, where it was Chris B or whatever, and then you know, then you'd have an MC, you know, and maybe that early on that MC was Lay's. Like yeah. the the creativity amongst you, did it start with the loop or did it start with the drums? Or did the drums come with the loop and then the scratch or the bass line? Like how did all that, you know, like Obviously, you said the radio show and all that kind of thing, but once you sit down in those rehearsal studios and start nutting out songs, like it's generally, it's got to be a skeleton of a nuts and bolts thing that this is the core that works. Yeah. Um, and anyone that's had a good idea for a tune and it is the good idea for the tune, sometimes it is just the one instrument or something. Yeah. It's very easy to get everyone involved or even just yourself and build up um, some other framework around it and then fill in every hole. Yeah. And then you've totally lost your initial idea and now all the fuss is about getting these other sounds right. Yeah, yeah. You know, so yeah. to stop that, not stop that, but what I didn't see happening with us anyway was some. whenever something was brought to the table, it, I already kind of worked with something. There was a concrete break and a bass line yeah. or it's got this vocal hook that works absolutely brilliantly when you drop out the drums and let's say this horn section and then it's got to come back in. Mm. And sometimes underneath the sample that you've sampled, there's a bass line anyway. Yeah. And with tuning, generally that will work in some fashion with your big change that you've got. Yeah. Chris Bosley, the bass player that we ended up um, having for the majority of the eight years that I was with him yeah. and with the band, so it started in um, 96 to 2004. Yeah. The last gig I ever did with the Resin Dogs was with the Black Eyed Peas. Wow, yeah. So yeah. that was – it's a good thing to say ended yeah. up on that note. Yeah. Um, uh, Dino's got – he had a good chat with um, Fergie and he's got a good photo with her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we didn't do any band well, shots. Well, was that the Fergie years too? Um, yeah, the, the, well, no there's shit. a record here. The very first time we met um, – oh, that's not that one. The very first time we met Black Eyed Peas was at a gig called, They played a big day out, I remember. Yeah, well, that was – That, that was, was pre-Fergie. There was yeah. no Fergie. They were breakdancing on all stage mate, and doing all oh, kinds yeah, of all shit. Mate, um, hosted a um, – I thought – I think maybe DVD. Exhibit were on the same bill too. Exhibit was on the same bill. What was it? Um, old mate from the Black Eyed Peas, he hosted a – um, break DVD. A break, a break, a break dance. dance. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because I remember hearing the story like, because those guys were supposedly Tom signed. in it. Yeah? That okay. DVD. Yeah. He's like beatboxing over in the corner, cunts are breaking and shit. And he's like, yeah. But those cunts, like, apparently, Easy E, like he discovered, or whether he discovered them or whatever, he was going to sign them to Ruthless, or he might have put out some of their music on Ruthless, and he used to take them to like Ruthless Records parties and get them to dance. Like they were these weird bohemian, like left of centre hip-hop dudes that would dance for all Easy E's gangster mates or some shit. That's what I heard in a Will I Am interview somewhere or whatever. What's that record? Um, I'm, the record I'm holding is Resin Dog's Set It Off mm. featuring Abstract Rude. Um, Ab Rude is from LA. Yeah, of course. Um, he's here currently, I heard. Yeah, yeah, he's in, in Australia at the moment. Anyway, on just tucked in the sleeve is a flyer from one of the shows that we're talking about. Um, okay. Easter weekend, um, 29th of the 3rd, 2002, Black Eyed Peas, Cutler Rock, James Lavelle, yeah, who's yeah, the yeah. guy who had the Moax label, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and Resin Dogs. Yeah. Now, if I remember rightly, I think um, TZU played that as well and some other, you know, local bands. Yeah. But that was the first time I think we sat down um, – Backstage, you know, just in the band room area, just mm. waiting to go on, mm. and Black Eyed Peas were there, mm. and they were sitting around. It was a round table too, yeah. and we were swapping CDs and promo packs that we had, no and just talking about normal stuff. Yeah, um, ended up getting the um, business card off their percussionists for the tour. Yeah, because um, I think it's Will I Am's push of being, you know, because you know he ended up, he's just sort of a perfectionist and knows which direction to go yeah. and pinpoint things. Yeah, to get like the you know some world class percussionist and other musicians 
like live bass lines, yeah. like actually played on spot, not a, a sequence or somewhere tucked under a sample. Yeah. Yeah, their sound is was huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it was kind of good to talk to them at that point. And then uh, I don't, there, there may have been another time we met them even before that. But um, then the Black Eyed Peas on their own tour did play Brisbane mm. and we supported them and other East Coast towns, which I didn't go to. Yeah. So I just did the Brisbane one and that was – I was finished with the – um, the resin dogs and I kind of parted ways basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you'd had enough I, or? I'm kind of glad it stopped there, especially looking back on it now. Um, and they're able to still happily do what they do mm. and it's still relevant and involve the old tracks as well if they, yeah, you know, yeah, bring yeah. them on set. Yeah. Like it's yeah. still around. Like so we're what, talking a lot of years ago, so I'm quite happy that it's yeah, yeah, yeah. not just dollar yeah. bin stuff. You but, know? It, but it's a huge part of your career, that those resin dogs years, and you played a huge role in that group. What track did you were you like were you kind of behind greening and cucumbers and all that early sort of stuff or um yeah. Um the Volcanic Lab album is is starts to be a bit like the the mama, I don't want to say it this way. But the familiar songs, if you like, mm. is, you know, blunted style is heavy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then once we start getting to the major label yeah. um, album, and I'll, that's what I was saying, by then it, we kind of all road tested a lot of sounds and songs yeah. from all of us sequencing stuff. Yeah. By then it was really starting to even out nicely. Yeah, so, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. like Chris's song, um, Jazz Crime, on that is it's like a beautiful art piece of sampling. It's a bit different. Yeah. And the only input I've got into that is a, um, a trumpet from – Maynard Ferguson, which I scratched in. Okay. And uh, I think I scratched, I had that scratch ready for something. Or No, I had that ready for that before he went in the studio, so I didn't even have to scratch it there. Yeah. Just yeah. out of the sampler. Um, and Dave um, always likes working with a percussionist from Sydney named Peter Neville. Okay. Peter Neville's, oh, this doesn't really, it's not relevant, but I'll say it. Peter Neville's sister is married to Tim Rogers from oh, UMI. Right. Yeah, right. So they would bump into each other, like, you know, bands and walking past and talking shit for a while, you know, yeah, I think we had breakfast in a hotel in Sydney once, maybe not, don't matter. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so Pete has known um, Dave for a while and, you know, percussion and bass and drums to lock them and yeah. just know your, your people you're working with, Yeah, that was a strong point of the Resin Dogs because yeah. the eight years that I was with them, nothing was sampled, nah, sequenced. Mm. The the keys that are in front of me looking like a keyboard yeah. is just a game of remembrance for me yeah, yeah. and just hitting sounds in looping and then timing again and loop again and time again with yeah. a, with a, like a cowbell and loop again and a yeah. bass line bring in. Um, so I'm always very conscious and you look in the in some of the video footage, it nearly looks like I'm petrified but I'm, I'm yeah, not. I'm yeah, just yeah. conscious of the fact that we're backwards to any other band yeah. that the sound engineer is used to playing, um, doing the sound of sound on stage. Yeah. Dave needs me, looks like a keyboard player, but he needs the drums that I'm playing as loud as hell in his fallback. Yeah, yeah. Because he knows that if, not necessarily if I miss it, but if the band speeds up for a drop-in, yeah. especially with drum fills and that kind of thing, not with Dave though because he's pretty accurate, Yeah. Um, I've got to make sure that I'm going to hit something that's going to go for two bars on time. Yeah. Otherwise everyone's going to be, where, where did all that mess come from for two yeah, bars? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. So um, just being that organic, even though it's coming out of a sequencer, but it's sampling live instruments usually. Yeah. It's a very organic feel because if we can feel that the crowd has just gone off in this song for some particular reason in this, yeah. you know, event we're doing, we just give each other the nod and we go around again or, you know, drop a bit out to make it last twice as long and then go around yeah, again. Yeah. You know, so there was no sequence there. Because I've always been sort of amazed by the dynamic in the Resin Dogs because you had a dude like Dave who was, for what it's worth, a full-blown rock dude because I like Pangaea <laughs> and all that sort of shit. Yeah, like, absolutely. you know, I thought Pangaea were incredible, man, as a group. And, you know, and I remember hearing about Elevation 
you know, like I, when I was a kid, I'd pick up all the street press and all that sort of shit and like, you know, I'd listen to Triple Z and I remember discovering Fat Tape and different things. So <laughs> Catch being a hip-hop dude and also an ex-graffiti artist and then you had a bass player and then when I saw you guys live, like there was just this, just the driving rhythm and then you had Lazy Grey, you know, like who was sort of like, that was my introduction to Lazy Grey, you know, like yeah. oh, I met Lazy at a party, like that's a story for another day, but in Elgester when I was in high school, but I saw him like the following year rapping with you guys and doing grinning and then like maybe freak the funk afterwards or some shit like that. Yeah. And to me, it was just fucking amazing, man. Like it was fucking mind blowing. Like, you know, yeah. it was incredible. And, and and it's not too, um, and it's not like, you know, I don't know if you know the Australian band Dig and it's not too. Um, oh, Directions in Groove or whatever. Yeah. Those and it's not yeah. too skunk hour of being a band and, yeah. and having someone that can There's nothing really like it. And it, it wasn't you know? specifically too hip hop either. No, no. Nah, just- nah. It was like, it was, man, I think I said it on the catch episode. It was kind of like, you know, hip hop would never rock and roll like that. Like, you know, like that, you know, that uh, handsome boy <laughs> yeah, modeling school joint. Like, yeah, yeah me too. Insane. And, you know, that's what a resin dog show kind of reminded me of. Like, hip hop can fucking rock, man. Like, hip hop can go out and fucking rock. But you know those early resin dog shows, they rock. It was a, there was a hip hop element to it. There was a breakbeat element to it. There was so much going on, but it just fucking rocked, man. It was entertaining as a motherfucker. Like you danced. There'd be shows where there's mosh pits. Like it was just like I remember he was playing the Valley Fiesta and yeah. like lazy coming out and doing Freak the Funk and like man, there must have been you know however many thousand people up the Valley Mall. You know, dude, Stetsasonic, exactly. Yeah, the well, what, band. that sample you just said, hip hop will never rock and roll like this. Yeah. He's talking about his band. Stetsasonic is a band. Yes, that's right. So it's amazing yeah. that you. Pick that up, yeah. Because why would an MC talk about hip hop yeah, not yeah. being like? Well, what that was Prince doing. Paul. Prince Paul's in Stetsasonic. Yeah, Sonic. yeah. You know, just a- for those listening, Jeff just pulled out Stetsasonic's first album. Man, I mean this shit. You know, like this is an, a fucking an amazing album. And what's the joint on this? Um, the one that I used to just say Stetsa. Go Stetsa. Go Stetsa, man. Oh, like they talk about that being the tunnel, not the tunnel. What was the, what was the club back in the days in New York? Um, fucking. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, no, don't do it to me. Yeah, no, nah, fuck. What's what's the hip hop club from New York back in like the late eighties where everyone went through? And late eighties, I don't know. If I know, go, I know if, there was the Roxy and um, there was you know the studio pre the tunnel and all that stuff. Oh, I can't remember what the f- it's the fucking hip hop club it was like the rap club back in the day with KRS and everyone was in there, you know. But know, apparently, Go Stetsa came on, oh, and if wow. Brooklyn was in the house, like Brooklyn, fucking like you were tucking, <laughs> you were tucking your chain, you know, yeah. hiding your sneakers and all that sort of shit. But Go Stetsa is an amazing song, like it's fucking. Yeah, well, just um, this is one of Brian's albums, um, Biz from the hip hop show. Mm. Yeah, it's got BP in there. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. He loved that album yeah, um, yeah. and he would always scratch it in our set. So that would have been used on that night that we got the hip-hop show yeah. in that Def Jam. Um, funny enough, there's a Hang Mad logo on the back of that Brother Stoney album, I think. Oh, oh, maybe that's just that. the Hang Mad logo that – yeah, that stone broke. Um, yeah, Ham's designed that Hang Mad logo. Yeah. But there's another one where I overlaid that fire thing behind it. Oh, you'll, for real? Yeah, you'll probably see it around. Yeah. So yeah. that's off the Stets on Fire album because <laughs> a lot of my artwork, you might have known, um, is kind of I, – I conceptually thought one day, mm. um, why don't I do the artwork like I do the music? Yeah. So wherever I sampled the sounds from on the album, 
visit that record cover yeah. and see if you can get a bit of artwork off the cover and make a cover out of that. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. It, I don't know if it actually looks like it sounds, but that, <laughs> that's, that's how I did that. But, dude, it's yeah. like – And all dude, the words on the back, like the track listing is made of letters from the album covers. Yeah, absolutely. It's like cut and paste. It's like there's so many different elements. And I now that you mention it, yeah, I get it, man. Like there's a lot fucking going. It's almost like a fucking – it almost looks Monty Python-esque in a way, <laughs> like the fucking – the front. But, dude, like continuing with the Resin Dogs, man, like because it is so – such a huge part of your career like to me it's just like you you seem to be like a fundamental well obviously you're a core member but like just fundamental their sound was different mm. once you weren't there you know like I, I don't know like just those years signing to a major what what was that for you like you know being a background player like going on to become yeah. a, a major recording artist you know yeah well those early Rick's years um, very soon I got kind of thicker skin as far as uh, intimidating audience standing in front of you kind of feel yeah um, that just kind of went because I thought okay my music with these guys our music is getting people coming back in one of the first gigs we did at Rick's we didn't have that many songs so mm. the packed Rick's out into the mall yeah we would, would sort of sort of peter out after we would stop playing and just the DJ would play. Yeah. And then a new crowd would come in and we'd do the same song again, yeah, same yeah. songs for yeah. three sets in one night. Yeah. And we, I thought, man, this is just – and that's when we knew, I knew we were kind of onto something. Yeah. And then um, once Sharif got our demo version where it's uh, a whole demo, which a lot of those are blended stylist kind of tracks as well, yeah. which was um, Hard Groove, Cucumbers, Too, um, too Tough. Yeah. Sharif loved Cucumbers. Cucumbers is dope. Yeah, and he was playing that demo version that was done in, I think, Airlock Studios or something at Wellington Street at East Brisbane. Uh. And um, he, um, just with him playing it on his Groove, groove, groove Train, theory. Groove yeah. Train it was. Groove Train, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah of course, Sharif. Yeah, so yeah. Word, up, word up to um, Sharif for Groove Train and yeah. Groove Therapy, word up to um, Shan Frenzy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, thanks, Shan, for giving us those two hours. <laughs> well, like, you know, that was back in the end of 95 or yeah. start of 96 or something. That I've got, got a whole lot of Frenzy because I want to get Frenzy on here, man. Like, yeah. He's, just, he's oh, instrumental to so much. Like, it's, yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah, so professional. Like, he mm. keeps everything clean and just the way it should be presented yeah. to all of us, you know. Yeah. And my introduction to so much is through Catch and Frenzy on Fat yep. Tape those years. Like I will eternally cite that. Like I – so much of what I love today was hearing Catch and Frenzy play that shit in 93, 94, like yeah. when I was of those – when I was that age going into my teens or, you know, early teenager and just discovering the music of that era, you know. Like so much that wasn't accessible to me at that time came through those dudes because there's yeah. no fucking internet. We had no internet. We had nothing. Like there was – only a certain amount available in Brashes or Chandlers or wherever the fuck you went to get music at that point in time. You know, there was yeah. only that many stores around. And, you know, being that age, you might not be able to get into town or whatever, but the music that they gave me access to, man, dudes like Frenzy and that, like, fuck, man. I can never thank them enough, like just some of those artists that I now yeah. love, you know. I'm, I'm the same because um, I used to – the radio you know, was an amazing thing, hey. Like it was I didn't, a, I didn't have the incredibly important. You know? With Brian, I didn't have the hip hop show anymore, but I still had the job where I drive around listening to music between mm. customers all day, every day, mm. and that would be Catch's hip hop show. Yeah, with um, DJ DCE, um, Gavin. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, Fib, Frenzy, um, Shawnee B, Complex, Complex. Yeah. Um, Chubba, of yep, course, of course, Chubs. Yeah. Um, yep. Good work with the label, Chubba, and um, miles ago. Yeah, the miles well, ago. Well, dude, we've got to get to we've got to get yeah. to stop and think. But yeah. you know, I just yeah, want to we'll, get we'll through get this, this resin dog shit. Yeah, okay, the resin dog stuff. Um, yeah, very quickly, I just didn't worry about the crowd and everything, so I didn't need to sit down behind my keyboard looking yeah. persona and you know, the sampler. I just stood up and just went nuts. Dave was standing up on the drum kit. Yeah. Um, so that that was awesome. Um, eventually, we started to sell out the zoo, so we could have a. Mm. 
um, a Saturday, a Friday and a Saturday booked and the queue would still go up around the street and then down in front of the Empire Hotel. Yeah. You know, so that was, that was nuts, that kind of stuff. I couldn't believe that just doing an art form, which I'll explain in this way, um, when you do a collage in visual art, you usually grab things that are pre-existing, sometimes with a copyright, like mm. a Ford hubcap, yeah. and you stick it in your collage and that's your artwork. Um, I do exactly the same stuff but with pre-existing audio. Yeah. So I just couldn't believe it's starting to take me somewhere and it didn't have to really sound like hip-hop from New York because I'm not from New York. Yeah. But I just love all that stuff that that, were, that sort of um, ended up me and all my friends and pretty much the hip-hop family around the world is your friend. Like if you walked into New York now yeah. and kind of people got the vibe of what you're into, it's like, oh, yeah, man, well, come and check out here tonight. Yeah, such course. and such is on. You yeah. know, it's just amazing. Yeah. Um, and then um, after Sharif played that on his radio show, um, Creative Vibes, um, they approached us to record a proper, like they'll give us a bit of money mm. to get like a mixed studio version. So we went to Red Zeds, mm. which um, like Dave and the guys and um, uh, Jeff Lovejoy is a yeah, producer that yeah. is yep. very familiar with that place as well. Yeah, yeah He worked with Magoo um, yeah. with the Black Box recording, mobile recording studio. So we did a lot of recordings there um, and overdubs and all sorts of stuff at that Red Z studio. Um, we recorded Cucumbers there and the Black Sabbath drum break and the other piano sample and so on just sounded never so huge mm. the way that um, Magoo squashed the crap out of every sample that I had. Yeah, it was yeah. just everything when it comes in, it sits bang exactly where it should. It was just yeah. amazing to hear it go differently. Yeah. Um, and then funny enough, like I, I used to think that the bass line of Chris's was too big. Yeah. But at any other level, it doesn't drive the way it does. So yeah. the, that version of Cucumbers that ended up being released on, uh, I think, Volcanic Lab maybe. Volcanic Lab. And, but generally, most people know Cucumbers from the film clip that Nick One did yeah. that was on high rotation on Rage yeah, yeah. in 1998. Yeah. Um, so Nick One's film clip filmed that, funny enough, that Win Lane behind yeah. um, the zoo. Uh, and, and also in a um, Queensland College of Art student room after hours he got access to the room oh, and he and he told them can i have access to the security camera room too oh. so he videoed what the security camera could see from in the so corner so that's what that's that's that footage yeah, yeah that security, security footage yeah, it looks okay. like we're breaking into the place and smashing the shit up or something you yeah know? i just yeah. i thought it was like a ca camera in a corner of a room set up but I, it looked yeah. like security footage you know? yeah, yeah, yeah 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 maybe yeah. it was a camera set up. i wasn't paying that much attention yeah so maybe he set it up to look like that but he did a good job yeah, yeah, yeah. you know um so that was happening and I would be driving around to work and hearing cucumbers in the morning shift around lunchtime and on the way home on four, on Triple J. Yeah. You know, and I was yeah. like, man, yeah, this can, you know, touch, yeah, you can kind of like the Nirvana album, Nevermind, but mm. that's on a massive scale. Yeah, of course. You, you can strike a chord with people. Like, like yeah. if you kind of get some sort of, yeah. uh, you know, chemistry right there. Yeah. It's an, it's, I think it's a, it's an anomaly. Like it's something, it's, it's, it, it's not a tangible entity like music and just hitting that song with those people at that point mm. in time at that specific point in time is is an anomaly. It's there's no way of yeah. yeah well, see, you can't harness no one, it. Yeah, it's yeah, just that's a good you, point you, because you, you you capture something like whether it's the climate, whether it's you know like be it any climate, be it fucking weather, political, fucking social, like yeah, anything. It. Like you just somehow get it's, it's like fucking. To me, it's kind of like cursor and all those kind of things. Like mm. they, it's it's an anomaly. Like you, this is a dude that's had no 
radio play. This is a dude that's had no real mainstream push, but he strikes a chord with this specific demographic that in turn spreads his music that much further in his whatever. But this works, like you said, with um, Nirvana, with like punk rock. It's just yeah. whatever the fuck happened. Like with the Hilltop Hoods and fucking Nosebleed section or something like that. Oh, yeah. This shit just fucking just works. I don't know how. I don't know why. It just fucking does and it strikes a chord with yeah. this group well, of people. Speaking of which, I'm like Hilltop Hoods and um, – who else ended up like sort of taking the reins, if you like, like in a big way? Oh, Avalanche is roughly of about course, the same time. You know, then they, Avalanche then, is around the same time as you guys, really. Yeah, yeah. We, we met up with them a fair bit in Melbourne that before yeah. it actually started taking off for them. Yeah. Um, and we got Gordon, I think Tony and Darren, which is Bobby Dazzler. Mm. Um, and because we supported the Beastie Boys in Brisbane. Yeah. And it was Biff Tech, Resin Dogs, Avalanche's Beastie Boys, or yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, in every other city, they didn't have that extra band, but because Resin Dogs at the time were kind of their hip hopier band yeah. that was at a festival level in Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, for this particular city, they put us on the bill. Yeah. Where everyone else was just Avalanches and Biff Tech. Um, so that was good. That's where I got that photo of Adrock. He got back from shopping from records in the city. I no wish shit. I was in the city and saw him and walking around. Yeah. And he had record bags from like the exchange and somewhere else. Yeah, of course. Um, and I, I kind of looked at him, looked at the records, and I, I can't remember what I said. I said, you got any groove merchants in there? And straight away he knew that I knew his lyrics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, one of his lyrics is I got two sealed copies um, from the groove merchant. Yeah. And that's of expansions. And we just talked about just shit for two seconds. Um, and he noticed that I had my camera on me. And I hadn't thought about it all that yet. I just want to talk to the records some more, see if I yeah. could like get more of his time. Yeah. And he says, man, do you want me to take a photo of us? And he took the camera off me and he took the selfie. No shit. Yeah, so that's why it's blurred <laughs> as hell. Yeah. But I, that even makes it more kind of special yeah, to me. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. It's like, yeah, it's so not not having to go over that border of asking him. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and then um, – but yeah, you and you you were talking about uh, you well the resin dogs and the avalanches, I suppose. Oh, yeah, yeah. So um, so that was where we were at, and then after that got released, Cucumbers following um, got us that kind of name. We did a tour around that. Uh, I think that was with Skunk Hour, and then another one by ourselves. Or something. Yeah, I think yeah. Yeah, Catch and then just Skunk after Hour. that, we released Grinnin', uh, which was our release. Was Cucumbers pre-Grinnin'? Yeah. I thought Grinnin' was first. That's just the first kind of hydro-funk thing we did ah, right. um, with my – I don't mind laughing at it now – my um, kind of crappy pixelated teeth, which is deliberate on the front yeah, cover. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. It was nearly meant to be like a Blue uh, Blue Note record <laughs> it is, release. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. it's just kind of its own thing now, which is fine. It is kind of chatty. Yeah, <laughs> The yeah, cover yeah. of Grinnin', the Grinnin' EP. <laughs> yeah, but um, – like that's got Mad Dr. X on it. Um, yeah, dude, the I, music it contains yeah. is fucking, yeah, 100%. Shawnee B brought some records over one day and um, by the end of it and with some loops I already had going, I'd finished his track with his sounds that he wanted to put on a track. Wow. We made um, Green Dreams. Ah. So Green Dreams is also yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, which, yeah. Which I've got MCs on Green Dreams on Blunted Stylus 3. I was going to say. Slightly, slightly different version. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's got Raman on it. Um, yeah. Um, maybe not Lazy, but Metz is on it, Jay's on it. Anyway, um, so Grinnin, when that we were ready to put Grinnin out, which mm. was um, DJ Fib and I um, made Grinnin, like predominantly just loops and samples like I would. I'd get a song, you know, the bones together. Yeah. And then Grinnin while you're spinning, my record on 33 or something, that's a line that Fib found. So he's kind of found the chorus to our version yeah, yeah. of um, Grinnin while you're spinning. And then at the end of the Hepatitis version in 95, he'd, we recorded at Kestro's studio him doing those magical up fader cuts or uh, the kind of yeah. really soft cuts somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And it's just, uh, what is it? Um, 
It's all wax, yes. So I'm talking about vinyl, which mm. is Chuck D. Yeah, yeah. With this screamy sound, which I think is um, what's his name? Bismarck Key going funky. And, oh, and, the, okay. and the squeal funky. in the funky. Yeah, yeah. Of you course. can't even tell that's what he's saying. It's just this squeak that people yeah. like to yeah. cut up. It's been used before yeah. too, hasn't it? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. um, because our bass player at the time was an announcer on um, B105. So Spidey, he was called. That was his um, request time slot. It's peak time slot, by the way, for all the kids to ring in. So Andrew G worked as the announcer at B105. (laughs) So in the peak spot when all the kids around Brisbane that are listening and requesting songs or whatever they want, oh, I'm more Beyonce. Um, he decides to invite us in and interview us. So wow. me and Catch get yeah. interviewed. I don't think Lazy Gray's in that interview. Yeah. But it's all about Lazy Gray doing Aussie raps and this is how Australian hip-hop sounds. Ah. And it got on B105, whether it's beer or whether it's bud. The resident <laughs> resident dog dog. Yeah, the stage <laughs> oh, in front. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we just loved it. And, um, yeah. So that was that was kind of a foot in the door there. Yeah. Um, that would have been huge. Yeah. Like time slot and everything like that. Yeah, so that was grinning. So that initially the instrumental was grinning while you're spinning, which is the me and fib hepatitis yeah. thing. And then all those years later, about three years later, yeah, um, it turns with into the MC that on song. it. Lazy Gray did his gold on it. You yeah, know? carries all sorts like a council, council bus. bus. Yeah, man, that's insane. Dude. You know, I even listened to. Um, I hadn't listened to it in a, a long time, and uh, Refizzler. Like, ah. oh, bro. I mean, you know, that's getting into Grand Theft Audio. That's when you're obviously yeah. on a major by that stage. And My mum hates it. Oh, dude, everything I do is smoke-related. Like, even the second verse, like, fucking um, – I was just like, man, I just hadn't listened to it in a long time. And I was like, heads up, 365 days I messed up around the Valley Five Ways to El Jester Contesta. Like, shit. Like, it's just yeah. – yeah, dude. You know, and everyone still cites the line from it. This river, you, Bruce Vegas, what a city, what a lady. We know, only like, did that a yeah. few times live. One time was with Grandma. I saw it at the zoo. Yeah, Grandmaster Flash, we did Refizzler live mm. um, on that tour. Oh, not the zoo. Sorry, I saw it at the arena. You guys did it at the arena live once. Yeah. And Lenny came out on stage with anyway. you. Yeah, okay. Mm. Yeah, cool. Um, just quickly on all that. Um, yeah, so this sort of just finishing up on grinning while you're spinning, ending up being grinning, mm. catch at one of the rehearsals, brought in the disco, nearly cheesy but it isn't, um, Bunny Sigler sampler. A sample. Okay. He'd, he'd found this bit that goes, I got what you need, babe. Ah. I got what you need, babe. Yeah, and yeah. So, somehow that fit as the chorus yeah. around Lazy's rap yeah. with a song that really didn't have a chorus, but yeah. this cutting bit. So that, <laughs> that's one good example of how an instrumentally kind of song ended up being a single. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's it's a good, like, once again, that sort of pastiche that you talk about, everyone just bringing mm. something into it, you know. Yeah, and yeah. the and the bass line loop thing, which is one of those ones I would have had in 1992 over and over in my car yeah. out of this tape that's got a million of them, it just kept standing out. So out of, I don't know, whatever ones I chose, that bass line going over and over um, and a horn comes in like a saxophone. Yeah, yeah. Um, out of a war album with Eric Burden. Uh, it's the one that's a gatefold with the naked chicks on the cover. Yeah, okay. Yeah, the song's called Spirit. Um, so the bass line goes, and that rip at the end is where I've cut off the saxophone as it come in. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so once I heard that a billion times in my car, I thought, I just want to hear it more. And that's how it ended up being one of the, you know, in for the run. Are the drums played live on that? Are they sampled drums? The drums I put over it was Lee Dorsey's Drums, uh, which I think were the meters at the time. They sound fucking hard. Yeah, they? it's yeah. a New Orleans the drums, drummers. You know the the meters drumming for yeah. Lee Dorsey, and that's the drums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then on the live version or any version you hear, even recorded, 
apart from the hepatitis one, yeah. when Dave drums over anything, it gives it all the um, live sparkle with crashes of and, course. you know, yeah, and his yeah. fills and all the time he yeah. knows how to build something. Yeah. From when you can't hear him, it's just the break to but even, all of a sudden it's him. But even on the Grinning EP, like the drums sound fucking live. Like those drums oh, are hard. They sound fucking live, dude. Yeah, like, that's what I'm talking about. This The, the production and squashing the in a certain way to get a yeah. sample yeah. fatness to go with well-treated drums and well-played drums live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it is amazing. And that's how, just on that note, with Dave's drumming, you don't have time to go and set up um, completely different rooms and um, change snares and stuff for drum kits to sound like breaks from different eras, right? Nah. So that is the gold of playing a drum break mm. and having our sound engineer that's at front of house, yeah. you know, looking at a, the back of the, everyone's head at the festival, yeah. listening to what's coming at you, to get the sonics of the old school reverb and that that you wanted, yeah, yeah, yeah. that everyone knows the signature sound of the break yeah. and the drums in that song, yeah. and Dave, they're just right, so they're still both there. You yeah. Know? yeah, dude, there's so many fucking elements going on on stage mm. like with you guys. Like, yeah, fuck me. Yeah, dude, it's something else. Well, by the end of the Resin Dog years, by the way, um, as I was talking about with the amount of songs that we're both doing is evening out yeah. or evened out. We ended up breaking up even songs so that I would trigger some of the parts in a catch song and he would trigger some in my song or whatever the song was, whoever yeah, did, yeah. like a, a Borley song. So Chris Bosley would do, he he did nice mics. Yeah. So Dino would come on and rap and like some of the samples are catch and some of me and then catch does a scratching, right? Yeah. Because the, S, S, um, the Akai MPC 4000 was such a beast, we didn't need another sampler, so everything comes out of that box, yeah. which takes a bit longer to load the show, but it's got the memory. Yeah. So we had the – it's got um, 10 outs, 10 analog outs, but we had two going for my outs to yeah. the front of house to be mixed, and then Catch's MIDI cable would come to me, right? So there's two triggering keyboards for the one sampler yeah. and two sets of lefts and rights. Fuck, you lose so it's, it's more control at the front of house. Yeah, yeah Like yeah. if whatever catch is playing, yeah. you know, so just because it is, it doesn't really matter if it's coming from catch or not, but you've just got more control. Yeah. It was just, it was just really um, a different way to do things. Mm, yeah. mm. Fuck, dude. Dude, yeah. And I mean what you did and what you contributed with the Resin Dogs, man, like <clears throat> was there, that became your job, obviously, the Resin Dogs? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that that was one of the sticking points and me being drinking at the time, and by the way, this is just weird, I reckon um, being in the music industry has got to be the only profession in the world where the promoter, boss, whatever you want to call them, mm. actually gives you the alcohol to give, do your job properly. Oh, dude, yeah, you the know? accessibility, it's just, man. It's just nuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. So um, generally um, the start of any show I'd be fine anyway. It's just afterwards you'd get, you know, I'd go party on mm. and then if there was still some over in the morning, I'd probably keep partying on, which would be not good if there was a gig the next day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But other than that, generally they start off okay. But anyway, we don't have to go back over that. Yeah. Um, yeah, what is it? Don't look for me in my past. I don't live there anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember seeing an interview with um, old mate from Greenspoon, the lead singer, and he Phil. Was, yeah, Phil from Greenspoon. Yeah. That's right, Phil Jameson. Had and some good parties with that, that oh, band. Is, yeah, one of the first um, lawn festivals we did yeah. was I think one of their first lawn festivals because they had won the Triple J Unearthed thing. That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that yeah. Cat Three Times song. And, oh, man, yeah. their sound was exactly up my bloody yeah. Black Sabbath kind yeah. of. That's exactly – they got it, those guys, yeah, with yeah, Joe yeah. on the on the guitar there. Yeah. No, I was um, – he did an interview with – I can't remember, but he was talking about the music industry and drugs and alcohol and his battles with it. And he said, he goes, it's fucking insane. Like, you know, it is pretty much what you said. It's the only industry where it's mm. – it's 
the accessibility to everything is it's just there the minute you hit it the minute you do it and on any level man like you yeah. know on on there's numerous levels to success within music particularly you know there always has been but yeah. on any level there is accessibility to substances and substance abuse yeah. you know like it's fucking it's real and yeah he was I can't remember who the interview was with but it was really sort of yeah yeah it was well, it's like Ozzy Osbourne said um even though it's it's it sounds a bit like being only alcohol alcohol is the one of the messiest drugs in the world or mm. you know substances Jeez. rather yeah but um, Ozzy Osbourne used to drink with the roadies because they could drink like he wanted to. Yeah, 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 yeah. They, they yeah, could yeah, really, yeah. you know, hammer yeah. it. So after a gig, that's that was him. Yeah, or during a gig, whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But so the resin dogs became your job throughout yeah, those years. Um, from yeah, so was there any financial like were, were there? Uh, I don't want to get in your pockets or anything like that. But were there financial <laughs> perks to fucking signing with a major and then you know the extensive oh, touring yeah, you were like, doing? Later you were doing a lot of when festivals you and know, stuff. It's it's time for the the label to do. Yeah, uh, you know, the recouping kind of yeah, exactly. budget, take that bit out yeah, yeah. Uh, and whatever else the comp contract would stipulate yeah. because you can have a flow through while they're still recouping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so some of those from the first album, which um, may have been the biggest hip-hop act in Australia up to that point, mm. which is nearly exactly the same point that Hilltop Hoods went nuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, like we're talking, like they, I think the Hilltop Hoods knocked um, – what is it? You two off the number one spot or something? Oh, you know yeah, that's dude. incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're yeah. they're out of here now. Yeah, they're you fucking. Know, it's, yeah, you know. it's good to see though. I'm glad glad it was them mm, too. You know, mm, absolutely. Um, so and they've been quite inventive with all the albums and the orchestra stuff, and you know they just keep doing stuff. And the thing is, if you go back to their early songs, the, the music is just on a production level so much bigger. Mm. You know, for what it's worth, it's still kind of true to what they were doing back then, you know, like yes. pre-left foot, well, you know, left foot, right foot and pre that, you know, pre the, the immense yeah. success that they had following left foot, right foot, you know, like mm. the music still yeah, kind so of sounds were, the same. They've still got up. the sing-songy kind of hook thing going. Just the music production and everything gets so much fucking bigger, you know. Yeah. And obviously, the, the, I mean, beyond immense success, they're pretty much the biggest fucking act in the country. Well, they are, you kind of got to think big too. Um, of course you do. The... We, you might, uh, probably the easiest one to Google would be Resin Dogs, Big Day Out, I've seen 2003. It. 14 minutes? Oh, mm. probably. I don't know. Yeah. There's, there's a few different versions. Like I've, they, uh, Channel, it was on Channel V or Yeah, something. Channel V gave yeah. us the whole tape, so I've got the whole show, Shit. which goes for an hour, yeah, yeah. Um, or maybe an hour and a bit. But the whole Olympic Stadium at Homebush in Sydney, yeah. even up the top, is just full. Yeah. And it's not even the end of the day. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. it's still daytime. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. yeah you, what are you doing, like a 2.30 slot or something like yeah, that? Yeah. You know, like, yeah, well, and um, – I think Dave at one point just yelling at the lighting guy, you know, can we turn the lights off? Because the, the records record? are melting. Yeah, the records are melting Dude, here. Because yeah. um, the sun's already doing that. Yeah, to have yeah. these spotted cans, these lights that you can feel fryer when they turn on. Yeah. You know, that didn't help. But um, I think Catch throws some records in the crowd at some point yeah. in one of the gigs because he's the records you can see, they're just warped. He shows the yeah, camera. Yeah. Um, yeah, so thinking big. Yeah. And that's why when we go on stage, it's like, oh, can we afford blah, blah, blah or whatever? It's got none of, nothing to do with that. It's, well, the four of us aren't going to entertain that many people as much as if we involve some of our friends and what they can do. Yeah. So we had B-Boy Busk, who's always represented Australia overseas in breaking, legendary B-Boy. Um, B-Boy Rely was yeah, on that too, yeah, which yeah. is um, uh, Nick, clip, yeah, yeah, Nick Power. Yeah. And they, they, they do that from the first song nearly um, where it's needed and the energy they've got is amazing. Um, yeah, Nick Power and B-Boy Busk. We had a three-piece horn section then. Dino. Um, Dino, yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, God bless Dino too. He's such a party rocker. Yeah, like yeah, when yeah. him and um, 
uh, abstract, no, and abstract rude. When abstract rude and Dino rock the stage, it's amazing. Yeah. And when um, uh, Robert Reed from Trouble Funk and Dino got out yeah. there and rocked it, it was just amazing. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. Um, yeah. Swing it over here, you'll swing it over there, you'll swing okay. it over here, your kind of stuff they're yeah. doing with their arms. And they get every person in the crowd to the last person you can see doing yeah. it. You know? There can't be like, you know, we talk about drugs and alcohol in the rec- in the music industry and things like that, but there can't be a greater drug or so or, oh, wow. or feeling than that feeling of like rocking a stadium like you yep. like you guys did in that period, you know, like man, you know, like that must have been fucking something. Yeah, to be on the main stage, um, starting in Auckland, mm. then Southport, Brisbane here, mm. and then Sydney, Melbourne, Adelaide, Perth. And um, one, of, one of the tours, I think it was oh, 2002, let's go for, with yeah. um, Coldplay had just released Parachutes. Oh, shit. Right? Yeah, the first yeah. album with Yellow on it. Yeah, yeah, My family had already been listening to that in the car when I'm taking the kids to school, and we loved the song Trouble. Yeah. Um, as many, many songs on that album. Anyway, they were the band, also on our label, by the way, um, after us. So where I stood on stage, and you know how they've got alternate stages on, of um, yeah. yeah. So I think it was Resin Dogs and Placebo on the other stage, and then Coldplay. Shit. So whenever we'd be packing up, setting up, whatever, my markings where my sampler goes was exactly where their bass paper, bass player's markings. Ah, uh-huh, yeah. So we'd always see him going to him back and you know from the room and say hello, you know, talk about the weather or whatever. Yeah. Um. Ah, oh, there was a lot of talk. We we could that particular tour we could talk. It just seemed to be more of a family between band members because I'm pretty sure um, Jessica Mikola, I think her name is, that was the lady that died, the young girl that died in the Sydney gig. Oh, right, yeah. Um, yeah, I heard about Limp that. Biscuit one. Yeah, because um, I remember, Cross. yeah, Limp Biscuit when they turned up for the first show of the tour in New Zealand, what the good people at Big Day Out do is they make an area with all the band rooms they can face each other or not, doesn't matter, but they usually theme it like um, some yeah. tropical thing with a you know fish pond in the middle, yeah. you've got drinks and stuff, so the band can bands can escape and talk to each other if they want, yeah. get food coming if you need to, which is different to the VIP area. Yeah. Um, anyway, that was all well and good, and the Ericsson Stadium in Sydney has a, a tunnel, like, and a lot of the football players used to run through that to get yeah. on the footy field and that to get back. So that's where you had to walk through to get to the band stage. Yeah. And I remember when um, I think it was me, Bosley, because Chris used to live with the bass, the drummer from Powderfinger. Um, we're all sitting out the back talking to them because he's he's very close with them, and so the rest mm. of us got close. You know, you yeah. could just talk to him anytime about yeah. freaking whatever. And um, the Fred Durst and his entourage come down that tunnel. And there was these massive guys just, you know, stopping all the light coming through kind of size. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, around this guy as his entourage. Yeah. And once <laughs> once he turned up and went into their band room and that, the whole vibe of the place didn't be, didn't feel like that free Aussie music festival thing anymore. Yeah, yeah. It, it was felt like there was a pressure and just watch your step kind of thing. Really? And it was um not as bad as I'm saying, but something changed at that point. Yeah. And before that, everyone's just walking around as normal, nothing, nothing. Yeah, and then yeah. that happened. And um they they put on an amazing show, don't get me wrong, and the sound and what the crowd expected they were getting. Yeah. But um, I, th- I don't know if it was because um, DJ Lethal, I think they had. That's right. And yeah. um, is that House of Pain? Yeah, it was old House of Pain. DJ. Yeah, yeah. Like Chris followed all that stuff quite closely, and of course Dino does as well. Dino being an MC, sort of checks it out. Mm. So they remember it a bit better than me. But I'm, I'm pretty sure the mosh pit got that bad or that good, if you like, if you like to mosh, mm. that the circle was just going nuts and people just running in from yeah. the side and get sort of spun into it. Yeah. Dusters rising, that kind of thing. Um. And uh, the crowd was pushing it all to the front, though, as well, you know. So everything's getting condensed the whole time in, in a way that you just can't stop. Yeah. 
and um, security guys are getting <laughs> on stage and trying to tell Fred Durst to tell the crowd to move back. You could see all those gestures yeah. in that, you know, just doing the they right thing. The tea, the, yeah. They don't use them anymore, but they had the yeah. tea barriers, so they're, yeah, stuck in that little sort of oh, size, pen type the size of the barrier. That's where you actually stuck because it comes out. Oh. They stopped using them now, but, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that was last year they ended up using them fucking yeah, well, shitty barriers because it, it... They must have reviewed it a lot. Yeah, it's... Um, it sort of traps you in, you can't get out, you're stuck mm. like basically metal cornering you off. Yeah. So I think I think the the response from the band was to um vocally was to ignore the security guards. Oh, tell them to F off and that sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Totally ignoring it. Yeah. And then um a gig or two later, um that lady died from exactly the same situation. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, and then like Powderfinger are just an amazing Australian band really. Like um Bernard Fanning in Adelaide got the whole venue it's and organized it with i suppose paul Botico and jessica um this is a different jessica that's kind of like a an agent chick for them and sometimes us mm. to get the, all the venue lights turned off and everything everyone to have a moment silence and it just went magical mm. and mm. bernard fanning was sitting in the middle of the stage and he had his acoustic guitar i think yeah and um and did the tribute to her and it was the song these days yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, oh, it really chokes me up thinking about it. Yeah. It was just amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. How, <coughs> do, you, do you have fond memories of your time with the Resin Dogs? All that sort of oh, thing? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's insane. It's, yeah. um, yeah. Yeah. Good there, times. There is, yeah, it's like a count your blessings thing. And one, one of the things people, like it doesn't matter how much you want to push people to do something or pay somebody or whatever, it's got nothing to do with that. It's got to do with, um, Finding someone not, is not just on the same wavelength as you, mm. but to devote as much time as you are into your stuff. Mm. Mm. And that happened in every direction for each member of the band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, I'll come over again. I'll come over again. Yeah, yeah. What are we doing? What are we going to work on? Yeah, I'll come over again. Yeah. What do you need? I'll go to your place. Yeah, when everyone's just moving. Yeah, and it's that just that, fucking... that was just happening freely and no one was yeah. no boss or anything saying do this, do that, nothing. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, you know, which is another thing in a band. You know, you don't have a boss. Even your manager is someone you employ. Yeah, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Dude, we've got to start wrapping it up. We're already at fucking – we're going on three hours already. Oh, really? I want to get into – yeah, I know, dude. It just goes. <laughs> dude, I want to get into Stop and Think, man. And you, and I suppose yeah. your relationship with Lazy, like you produced <coughs> – you produced one of the quintessential hip-hop songs, like one of the quintessential contemporary hip-hop songs of this culture. Of, you know, like mm. it's, it's amazing. It recently got a re-release – from miles ago, music shouts to Lenny and Chubbs doing, you know, and Hams running that sort of thing. Like yeah, your relationship, your your relationship goes way back to you know Fizzler, Re Fizzler, mm. you know, through the Resin Dogs and all that sort of thing. But well, your involvement in banning Queensland and you know your relationship with Lays Man, let's just let's speak on it, dude. Because Stop and Think is phenomenal. Mm. You also did Walking Through the Drive Through for him. Okay, you know? let's just really quickly fly through Lazy Gray and how I got to know him. Yeah, um, I was. When I when on my 18th birthday happened, Lev is also a Scorpio. He turned 18, mm. um, and another friend of ours that used to DJ at some gigs like in tennis courts and shit like that, um, Peter Bowie. He also turned 18, so we had this Algester Pony Club 18th birthday party, like after hours kind of thing. Mm. We hired the Pony Club. Yeah, yeah. It went out of hand. It just got nuts. <laughs> As I said before, all my friends have got um like varying ages. Yeah, so yeah. a lot of people had cars and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I was already driving, had my car. Um, but my cousin was up with his panel van um, and another couple of the older guys, their cousin had a combi, yeah. which we used to try and roll all the time. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so you can imagine the pony track and cars flying around it like a speedway in the middle yeah. of Algester. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> and just other stuff that went on. I think there was a live <laughs> band. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, <laughs> a bike got stolen that night because uh, you know a lot of us have you know rare Haros and stuff like that. Yeah. They call them that now, but back then they were just our good quality bikes that we'd do freestyle on. I think it was my brother's Haro or something. Um, it got stolen that night, and I think we were we felt kind of obliged to go back and clean up the place. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Um, there was enough police visits and that to sort of be. Um, you know, make sure we you know, just tidy up the edges the day after. Yeah, exactly. And um, even though I'd met Cameron's brother, um, Malice, yeah. um, who Diablo is another name, Tempest, yeah. I remember him tagging on the Altandi overpass as yeah. well, next to my brother's look piece. Yeah. Um, even though we'd met those guys with Ben Osborne, funny enough, they were taking a photo of their bean piece or whatever it was. Yeah, or he up, wrote bean, Malice wrote bean, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was up. It was behind the wall at the Runcorn State School on Mains Road, Sunnybank. Oh fuck! Yeah, right. You, so. know, yeah, you know, there's yeah, a tennis court yeah, yeah. there yeah. for the it school kids. It was there kids. for years. It was yeah, there up until. I used to go to yeah. school at that school. Yeah. But anyway, in '87, early '87, I took some cutters up middle of the night and got into that tennis court and did the inside of the wall with a bice yeah. piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's probably one of the last pieces I ever did. Yeah. Um, and on the other side of that wall was the piece by the – just the young guys, right? Yeah. Yeah. And they knew knew about us and we went up there to take photos of their new piece and my piece. Yeah. And they were there. Fuck. So that's the first time I'd met those guys. Um, yeah. But I don't think Cameron was there. Yeah. But I may have met him. But, um, so that's about 87. So the end of 87 is that birthday party at the Pony Club. When we were back cleaning up the place, um, Cameron and all the guys from the Happy Herb crew or whatever, yeah, or whatever yeah. they were going to be, they're, they're his schoolmates, yeah. had found the bike down the creek <laughs> and they gave it back to us. That's the first time I ever met him. No shit. Nothing to do with the music yeah, industry yeah, at yeah, all. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, but I didn't know anything about him and that. There was just a thank you. But they remember it because they knew us older guys, you know, yeah. with Lev and all that. Um, and then um, a little while after that, they were trying their guts out to form a crew and do MC work and that is, I think, how the story goes. Um I, I hung out with Cameron the other night, you know, over dinner and he was trying to fill me in on this a bit, um, which is why I now remember that bike thing. They sent a demo in to Vapors magazine, yeah, I think Vapors, it was, about yeah, 1990 yeah. or somewhere around there. Yeah, yeah. A couple of demos and then through that, um, Hams and the review of it, I think it was, mm. Hams and Felicity with their Zest magazine and that kind of thing mm. within the year after knew about them, um, maybe even got a tape and review, don't know. But... um. Because I was doing music and recording a, a lot of stuff at that point, um, nothing was specific for hepatitis or anything, which mm. is yet to come. But um, they said, you got to meet this young bloke that's doing these raps, you know. His name's Cameron. He's got a, a crew on that. So I took them to the School of Audio Engineering mm. and recorded a song called Who Ate the Last Poppadom <laughs> by the Happy Herb crew, <laughs> which was Cameron, Andre, Aaron. Yeah. Um, oh, Bivouac, I think they called him. Yeah. Um, and it was actually quite, it was quite a good track. Yeah. You know, I'm not sure if the subject matter is relevant now, but it's, um, <laughs> there was other tracks we got ready too. And some of the production work I did on the external, everything was outboard gear. There's mm. no like plugins. There's no mm. such thing as anything like, you know, computer based like that. So just gating snares and stuff and getting the, um, free to pain break from Jilted Generation, I think it is, okay. or Easiest Way to Fall, the Easiest Way to Fall. Um, both sides of the Free to Pain album have both the ingredients for the incredible JVC force hit, Strong Island. Oh, right. That's actually a guitar. People call it a horn, but anyway. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure. But, um, yeah, so I was listening to some Ransom's productions just in prep for the show. Yeah. 
And he uses that track, I'm pretty sure, on one of his mixtapey things he yeah, pulled out or okay. one of his tracks. Yeah, yeah, and if you do gate the crap out of it and whatever, it totally sounds different than a, um, I don't know, a very early 70s bongo-laden break, you know. Yeah, certainly. So anyway, so that's underneath the camera and stuff. So I started recording that in the studio and um, pretty much about the same time, about 1992, start of 93, a group from Melbourne came up called Acapulco Gold. Ah, uh, of course. And Cameron was staying or was at um, Hams's house, which was um, at Bristol Street, I think it is, in Highgate Hill or yep. West End. Yeah. And um, that's where they came up and stayed or met first. And I went there with my um, four-track recorder. I was asked to record them yeah. on, on their kind of tour, see if we can get a recording of their band because yeah, they hadn't yeah. had one yet. So with the four-track and sequencing some stuff, um, I think um, – Blackout, which is Carmen, which is Enyo Styles. If anyone still listens to podcasts of mm. you know production music these days, Enyo Styles from Melbourne. Um, his W30, I think it was workstation, got that happening with his sequencer, tracked it, and that is three of the or two of the Acapulco Gold songs that you hear on YouTube. Yeah, which I've got to put up myself or get some of the guys to because I've got the master copies. Yeah, just yeah. to get it cleaned up and proper Fuck. with the proper um, credits to the guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then two tracks we also did at the School of Audio Engineering with the proper you know multi-track and everything. Yeah. So that's a a lot better capture of you know their sound. And what they were doing. And then they did a live performance at Sunnyside Up. Yep. Cameron, I think, was there that night as well, along with Aaron Goody and all those guys. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then after that. Um, just towering just, yeah, Towering Inferno started, and they were already doing gigs themselves. Yeah, and um, just going over to their place at Tawong where Damage was living. Yeah, just somehow we were. I was doing an instrumental for him to scratch on, and Cameron to rap on. Mm, mm. You know, um, I don't know which way it was driven from initially. Mm. It may have been from the the MDS Homebrews Two compilation um, being in the works via a letter to me. Yeah. If you got anything that you want to make. And um, I might have just approached them with, oh, do you want to do something for this? And that's how that started. Yeah. And then that's it. Me and Cameron have been working on stuff. Ever since. Sporadically though. It's not yeah. like, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're going to do an album or anything. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> but what have you, like, because you you have an incredible ear for production breaks and all that kind of thing. You introduced him to sampling equipment? Yeah, I was amazed that he didn't realise um, – well, you know, if you're not really caring or looking in the direction of specifically mm. credits and liner notes where things are coming from, if there's no band in albums, mm. you know, there's probably no band. And mm. it's um, uh, all the Sugar Hill Gang ones would confuse the crap out of you even more because um, Sylvia Robinson from the Sugar Hill stable, yeah. she's the executive producer and everything, even though she says that she's the producer. Yeah, yeah. She's got a, a finger in the money pie in every release pretty much. Um she got their in-house band, which used to be the in-house funk band for all their um, uh, releases on all platinum records. Mm. Um, and then, and she had a few other labels as well. I just can't think of them right now. Um, uh, Turbo was one of them and Stang. Mm. They're all – and The Moments were a big band, the in-house band for that. So that in-house band would replay Apache. They would replay yeah. everything that we heard on Sugar Hill that sounds like a band and yeah. kind of like the original. Yeah. Like the best one is um, – Shicks, good times. Yeah, you know that yeah. classic. You know, I said a hip, harp, yeah. a hibbit. Everyone thinks that's over good times, but it isn't. That's her band. It's that replay. is not even the sample yeah, or anything. Yeah, yeah. The hand claps are miles different, but still also smooth and yummy. They're just yeah. recorded so well. Yeah, back in the day. So anyway, so that would confuse things because it's not a sample. It is that actual band, but it's a, of a pre-existing audio hit. Yeah, you know. But um, yeah. So 
that was it. Once Cameron knew that, he was he was on to collecting records. First day I went to his mum and dad's place at Algester there, Ridgewood yeah. Road. Yeah. Um, his um, record collection is what I just went straight yeah, to, you yeah, know, or his mum and dad, you just, what, what do you got? <clears throat> and, um, well, he showed me that he's got, I think, not, not specifically Tower of Power, but definitely like the Woodstock soundtrack, um, which had, I think, a war song on it, um, Sly and the Family Stone, mm. Average White Band. Mm. And a Thelonious Monk record I've never seen before, mm. which I ended up sampling for this really obscure thing, which Fib ended up cutting on, mm. and it ended up being some jazz, it's called Jazz uh, Progressions or something like that, on Blunted Silas 3, mm. which is only a cassette at the moment, but we're working on that. Yeah, sick. Yeah, so every time I hear that now, it's like that, it's nearly an unorthodox way to sample a drum fill because it's nearly not in a time that would be associated with hip-hop. Yeah, yeah. But you put a hip-hop straight beat over it and yeah. it starts to work out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a Thelonious Monk record from um, Lazy Gray's collection. Yeah, okay. He always picks stuff, just like in that interview you had with um, uh, Len One. Yeah. yeah you yeah, show yeah. Lazy this maddest track, you know, you go away for five minutes yeah. and he's looped something on the B-side. Yeah, yeah. You know. Well, what did you think about what he did with Stop and Think and your contributions to being in Queensland, obviously? Um, did you know it would re- – uh, uh, yeah. more, to, more to the point, did you, think, did you ever think that that song would resonate the way it has in the years – following its release. Like it's after, become a after monumental After hearing his vocals song. on it because um, I'm not a person to make anything that's full-on aggressive, you know, NWA. Do you filter a lot of your samples? NWA kind of swearing hip-hop. Yeah, um, yeah I do. But, There's um, a lot of filtering in a lot, a lot of yeah, that sort of stuff, uh, a lot of the stuff you do. I've heard, I've, you know, I did read some of the um, comments underneath the track that's on YouTube after Bias B did that wonderful film clip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeez, I wish I was there for that film clip. Yeah, true. Uh, I would have been, oh, the, yeah, course, been the one yeah. tapping the buttons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, um... <laughs> It's all good because Lazy's such an incredible beat maker. Yeah, so that's all exactly. doesn't matter. Um, but the, you worked as a mentor in many regards for his production. Yeah, mm. but the whole time I'm, I'm not thinking any of that. I'm just mm. so glad that I've got a, a, a person of caliber that can rap and he wants to on my beats. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Yeah, and that song in particular. And was, what he did oh, with your song. Yeah, you and know? everyone can listen to that song and find a, a common ground to did their you own make, story. Did, yeah, exactly. Exactly, I, dude. I, I when I made a, a whole bunch of stuff that was just happening for whatever was going to be blunted stylus next, yeah. whatever that was at the time. Um, and when he sort of hears about three or four of them together, he'll come back with. Have you – this one I like. Yeah, yeah. But then you'll go like, oh, what about that song that you've already released on something? Yeah. That needs a rap on it. And yeah. that ended up being Walking Through the drive through, which uh, was de- definitely a loop I had when I first got the sampler in 89. Yeah. I was just, you know, 50 cent records, B-sides of Love Unlimited Orchestra and shit yeah, like that. Yeah, Um, You know, I would, I'd be looping that stuff. And that's the song that ended up being Walking Through the drive through, which was um, Mellow Ride, I think, mm. initially by – on the Blunt Stylus release. But I gave him – that track that's, you know, predominantly the sample it is, um, turns out that the same year but at the different end of the year, Jay Diller released or the Donuts came out oh, because fuck, of his I thing. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's why people yeah. are saying it's a Jay Diller thing when they, you know, when they're Johnny Come Lately people. But, you know, I didn't know about Diller. I didn't even know about Diller. Fuck, what I he remember did, that. You know? yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, the way I've used it is completely different anyway. Um, yeah. The filtering at the start is, is what your question was. Yeah. Um, yeah, you got to slow down a bit. My brain's full. Oh no, 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 no! Sorry, dude. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the um, yeah, I just love the way it came in, and so did Lazy, and then so glad we didn't change it because yeah. sometimes it might end up sounding like a you know a French house song. When yeah, it comes yeah. In, yeah. But it's just so smooth and beautiful for the subject matter when it comes in, and the vocal at that point is in six. Mm. And I was asking Lazy, can you keep my whole song in six? It doesn't go around in eight. You know, yeah. you count eight, and it turns yeah, around the back course. to start with yeah. a, a rhyme. Yeah. And um, he worked with it, but he 
God bless him, he he said, nah, can you make it into four, uh, you know, four, four or eight bar, 16 bar sections where my raps are? Because mm. he likes the way what he's got to say has to fit with yeah. what he wants to say. Yeah. So I, that's why I got creative with the way it turns around and repeats that section in the end of every six. So there's another two where it goes to yeah. um, eight, with the which is the Dion sample. Okay. Um, and a, another prominent rock band that was on Led Zeppelin's label, which is the Drum Break. Ah. Um, so there's not much to that song, but so but that it's ended up amazing. It's just a beautiful piece of music, man. Like you know, and mm. yeah, it's oh, and all dais with those cuts. Mm. Tough is life. Yeah, you know? yeah. that's yeah. just madness. And yeah. he's doing that on the six, by the way. He cuts over the six bits, yeah, 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 which you know fits him well. And because it does work so well, no one even notices that, which is how it's supposed to be. Yeah. Um, whereas in a previous track, the first fizzler. When he wrote, he already had the rhymes written, waiting for the the banging track to come up. Apart from the ones I think he'd always perform live with whatever whatever he does. Yeah. Then when he came to rap on Fizzler, I have this bit in the Fizzler where it goes, um, which I really love dropping instead of putting a drum feel or, or building something upwards mm. for the change, take everything out, you know, yeah, yeah, and yeah. just have a vocal in there, which yeah. is kind of subtle. Yeah. Um, mellow and smooth. Yeah, exactly. Smooth breath tones, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the vocal dropout. So Cameron had a rap there. <laughs> So he he did change his um oops he did change his rap on that one yeah. you know to fit my music whereas yeah. we'd stop and think he just wanted the lyrics to stay true to what the message is and I'm so glad we did yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely you happy with the uh, miles ago oh repressing yeah. how incredible is that dude yeah you it's know? amazing and yeah. you know it's um it's also it's very fitting it's not ironic at all it's just fitting. Um, I don't know it's in the lap of the gods how it turns out mm. that doing this Australian iconic Im- uh, symbolism on the front cover mm. that it's a bottle of bourbon uh, rum yeah, sorry yeah, yeah, Bundy yeah. rum yeah. and it's um, you know because you know before I went way off the rails with you know four litres with this that and the other mm. I'd, I'd get like a bottle of rum for the weekend this is in the 80s with my mate and we'd share it in different parties you know, to get us to go through the weekend a full bottle of rum. Mm. But, of course, that would be gone in like halfway through the first night. Oh, of course. And then you do another one the next night. No, it was just my vice, rum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. And, and apart from that, you know, drinking probably six litres of Coke in a night's never good for you anyway. No, fuck no. That's the thing, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know, as I said before, self-administering our this sort of thing it just wasn't a go for me in the end. Yeah, that's it, dude. N- not being able to taper the measure anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, fuck, dude. I mean... Bro, we've had you for a few hours now and we appreciate your time tonight. Is there anything else you want to sort of touch yeah, on? Yeah. Um, okay. There's a song called Grey Area, I think, on a mnemonic ascent 12-inch. Thanks, Phil. I think that's the first time ever one of my vocals has been used in a um, on a record as a sample. Oh, really? Yeah. It's, um, oh, man, it's Lazy Grey banging on about a beat or something. And it just goes hip-hop something or other. What's it used on? It's on Minimonic Ascent? Well, did you see the Monica oh, Ascent on the when I brought in? Oh, here it is. 12. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's grey air. It's the one that looks like a um, recycled cardboard Mnemonic Ascent screen printy thing. Is that the one with um, – has that got Honor to Be on it and all that yeah, sort of Yeah, um, Honor to Be is on the other one, oh, yeah, which yeah. is still mad. Oh, and you should check out the DJ tools on some of these Mnemonic Ascent. Oh, Mnemonic Ascent are dope. Yeah. I'm, I'm a It's fan, called man. Grey Area and it's got Lazy Grey sample off one of our records. Raph Ransom and BVA. Yeah. And I think um, Len One – cleaned up the where the sample came from True. that um you know that guts churn and is bias b but what's the other sample that lazy says um the guts guts churn and on the on the other track that they do for the bony and stony thing 
Uh, uh, there's a lazy grey little snippet. Oh, yeah. what uh, a barbecue thing with the tongs flipping the steaks on Boney and Stoney? Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but um, anyway, so it did the initial lazy lazy grey sample on that was off the blunted stylus three um, tape, I think. Oh. Yeah, because the first this is really weird too. The first safe as or safer sound, yeah, 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 is basically lazy and Lenny's version. Yeah, but I, I kind of tracked it and produced it at my place, if you like. But it's it's Lazy's produced samples, tracks, written song, yeah, composed, if you like. Yeah. Um. So their version is on my album, and my remix is on their album, which is kind of <laughs> odd. Well, we only realised that later. Yeah. <laughs> but dude, you've contributed tracks to um De- with to Defwishcast. You know, yeah, like um, DCE does incredible cuts on the intro to that um, Deathwish cast, Shining the Armor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah true. Off yeah, the legacy continues. Big shout to DJ Decide. Yeah, and of and, course, and Corner Pieces, man, which we've barely touched on. You know, I know we've spoken about it yeah, briefly. It's got Kuro on it. Um, this is an amazing release. From what year? What year did. Um, um, 2004. It's a pretty busy year. Yeah, definitely, man. Like with the dogs and everything. But like, this is an amazing release. Like I said, I was listening to it on Wax just. Fuck, just a couple of weeks ago, the brother Stony joined us. Phenomenal, the joint. We give one away, but yeah, we're going to give one away. Yeah, definitely, man. We might give away two. We got two to give away. I'm going to keep one. Yeah, I'm fucking. When that came out, um, Triple J said that they'll put it in their hot box in an email. So oh. that got on high rotation on Triple J. Um, the Whoa. Coolism track, Breaking Through. Oh, that's yeah, 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 mm. yeah, 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 yeah. And um, yeah, the very yeah, last track, Home Is Where the Heart Is, or Home Is Where the yeah, something like that. And yeah. it's a it's a song There's about no co- place like home. Yeah, no place like home. It's a song about coffee, really. <laughs> but um, every the start of every Australian um, Oz Music Month program. Yeah. The ad for the Oz Music Month all through the day would be that song. Really? Yeah. No that, that year. Yeah. You collect the royalties off that kind of thing. Oh, I suppose so. They usually do their homework. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't find Who takes too. care of all that sort of that business side of things for you? Like, or do I you, do. You don't yeah. worry about it. No, you, you've got to worry about it. You've got to do your home. You've got oh, to do your housekeeping. Certainly. You certainly Yeah, do your housekeeping. Yeah, yeah. Even though it's not worth much, you know, it's nearly not worth the effort you're putting in. Yeah. But accumul- accumulatively, yeah. it is. And especially if randomly somebody else is playing it over and over somewhere in the world. That's true. You know, because it's out there. That's the other thing. Yeah. You've got to. Um, yeah, be motivated to do just get something out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, don't talk about it. And if, yeah, if that happens, you don't know where else the little bits and pieces are coming from. Yeah, that's right. Do you, do you do you once again like you know I'm not saying it to get into your pockets, but do you collect? Do you still collect any sort of royalties from the resin dog days and all that? Sort yeah, of thing? yeah, yeah. Um, there's like all the tracks that we did together. Generally, for most of it, um, you'd have the like um, it, it was the four writers, and then we'd have a guest musician yeah. come in. So it's sort of split four ways. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, some of the tracks were initially um, like the main writer, like, you know, Catch and Dave would have written yeah. Daily Trouble, let's say, you know. Yeah. Um, and people do do additional stuff, but th- that's okay because everyone shares the little bits and pieces. And then there's other tracks written by me, like yeah. Feed Call Scratch. Yeah. Um, Feed Call Scratch is a beauty. I've got um, LL Cool Jake, James Smith, mm. um, has got writing credits on that. So oh, the writing credits are um, G. Boardman, you yeah. know, Andrew Garvey and um, – James T. Smith. Yeah. <laughs> no shit. Yeah, because um, at the end of it, it's um, it's a pretty full-on dance song. It's yeah. um, Joke's on you, Jack, and that's off um, Badder and Deffer, yeah, yeah, Bigger, yeah. Better and Whatever bigger, it is. Bigger, Bigger yeah. and Deffer, yeah. 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 Uh, and there's a KRS-One sample that we've got to prove too. So he's on the one that um, – oh, this Kenny Dope one that was remixed. There's a picture of it somewhere. That one. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that both of those tracks are kind of penned by myself, but they're Resin Dog tracks, that Kenny Dope remix one side. Yeah. 
um, and that's the KRS one sample. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was um, approved, so we've got co-writing pres- uh, credits with him. Yeah. And um, on the other side, it's the English remix by Mad Doctor X. Oh, and on the twelve-inch DJ Ransom, you're a legend. Yeah. There's a, a remix from Ransom on that one. Yeah. Um, and Fat Dex, funny enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Cat. Uh, fuck. <laughs> I was about to call you Cat. <laughs> Jeff. We're bro. all here together, mate. Thank you so much for being here. Oh right? man, thanks like, for having us in. Thank you for everything you've done. Thank you for all you've contributed. And I feel like we've only probably touched a fucking tenth of what you've done dude like seriously like there is so much more Might have to come in with the part two catch yeah <laughs> Trem keeps telling me we need to do some part two so yeah bro we probably need to have yeah. you for a part two man we get into the hepatitis cassettes the fucking all that kind of stuff like yeah, yeah and, um, thank you so much for what you've done dude and like for everything thank you that's okay thanks for having me you awesome got, um, shout out I, everyone I've mentioned in the, in the whole yeah. podcast actually, but um, like BVA, he did a remix for us as well down in Adelaide. There, he made us very welcome. Apart from Resin Dog visits, but to come down there in other times and just talk yeah. talk shop and swap records and yeah, whatnot. Yeah, yeah. So um, the, the new Monica sent crew in general, um, John Item, um. And uh, Stu Backer, I remember going to John Item's house. Stu Backer used to live <laughs> at the back of the house, and a, a guy called Adam at the front. Um, and this is like uh, not maybe Chrissy stepping to the AM, but maybe the formula was yeah, kicking on yeah, by then. Yeah, yeah of course. Um, yeah. Like uh, it was uh, definitely um, my man, you know, full respect to Ben Osborne for holding the fort at Rocking Horse Records and Hams. Mm. Um, but Ben Osborne was the one who suggested to contact um, John Item first about swapping records. See, that's what I would have and, loved to have spoken yeah. to you more about, the Rocking Horse year, like, you know, yeah. with Ben Oz and even the Rick's days and all that sort of thing. Like, fuck, dude, there's so much to talk to you about. You know, you have an immense history here in this city, man. And, dude, once again, thank you for fucking your contributions and thank you for paving the way. Oh, thank you. Just, Jigsaw it, Jeff. just felt normal. Thank you, thank you. Okay, blunted stylus. <laughs> <laughs>